ever since Brent Venables was hired back in early December, every single thing he's done has worked. I can't think of one example of a decision made by Venables in the last three and a half months or so where I've scratched my head or second-guessed him, with the exception of the overly long opening statements he tends to make in press conference or podcast settings, but obviously that's not a big deal at all. That's a personal observation that I have made, and well, it hasn't bothered Grant at all, and I would bet that it doesn't bother any of you at all either. Look at what Venables has done since taking over as the head coach at Oklahoma. One, he secured the eighth-ranked recruiting class nationally. Two, he hired offensive coordinator Jeff Lebby, whose Ole Miss offenses statistically ranked higher than Oklahoma's offense the past two seasons, and Lebby had immediate ties to Dylan Gabriel, who's now Oklahoma's starting quarterback. Number three, Venables hired Todd Bates away from Clemson, along with Miguel Chavis, their jobs to bring high-level NFL talent back to Oklahoma's defensive line. Number four, Venables also hired Alabama corners coach Jay Valai and former Troy defensive coordinator Brandon Hall to revamp Oklahoma's secondary. Number five, Jerry Schmidt is back at Oklahoma, and everybody loves that guy. At least that's the message that I've heard so far from players and, of course, the former players. Number six, Venables was able to bring Thad Turnipseed to Oklahoma from Clemson. I recommend listening to Turnipseed's interview on one of the recent Oklahoma Breakdown podcasts with Teddy Lehman and Gabe Eichard. Turnipseed knows what it takes to win at Alabama and at Clemson, two programs that Oklahoma has been chasing for the last decade or so. But perhaps the most important thing Brent Venables has done since being hired as the head coach at Oklahoma is that he's told us and he's showed us just how much he loves the University of Oklahoma and the OU football program. The administration, the boosters, the coaches, the players, and perhaps most importantly, the fans are incredibly energized and engaged right now in the Sooner football program. And Brent Venables, along with Joe Castiglione, and also, to some extent, Lincoln Riley, are the reasons why the fan base is so optimistic right now. Perhaps a little too optimistic, though, right? Doesn't it feel like way too many good, positive vibes are flowing at the moment? You know, I'm just sitting here waiting to hear some bad news. You know, and then I listened to Brent Venable's press conference to kick off spring practice. I'm anticipating Murphy's Law, right? You all know Murphy? What's Murphy's Law? What's Murphy's Law? You know Murphy's Law? Hey, whatever can go wrong will go wrong, right? But Murphy's getting ready to get beat down, okay? So that's what I know, just preparing for adversity, and that's what we've, you know, that's just our mindset, you know? Just, you know what's coming, and uh, uh, whether it's as a program or certainly for our players uh, in their day-to-day battles for spring ball, um, not everything's going to go like we want, but, again, just getting our guys with the mindset. I was like, oh, yeah, you said that was going to happen. Good, you know, good, because we know that's where the real growth happens. All right, so it's not just me who's expecting bad news to drop. So is Brent Venables, and that's good. I love that soundbite for so many reasons, but mainly because it tells me that this guy has thought about everything. Sure, this is his first head coaching job, but as Reggie Grimes and Miguel Chavis told us yesterday, you wouldn't ever know it. You watch him operate out there, it looks like he's comfortable and in his own shoes. Now, I know not everything is going to go right in 2022 for Oklahoma. That's impossible. But I also know that when August comes around, there's a good chance I'll probably talk myself into Brent Venables' first Oklahoma team being a legitimate playoff contender. And I'll also know that I'm being way too biased with that preseason assessment. 
But until we see on-field results and the win-loss column start to tell us what this team really is, you better believe I'm going to continue the belief that Oklahoma is in a fantastic spot, not just for three, five, ten years down the road, but Oklahoma is in a fantastic spot right now. And we all should be very thankful that the program we love has handled the last four and a half, five months about as well as anybody could ever imagine. I'm Lee Benson. This is West of Everest. Hello, welcome back. Or should I say welcome back to us. I know it's been a while. And for that, I apologize. But Grant and I finally got on the same page with our schedules. So here we are, just in time to hit on a bunch of stuff now that spring practice is more than a week old. No need to waste any more time. So let's welcome back in a man whose NCAA tournament bracket became just a worthless piece of paper faster than the time it took Dylan Gabriel to be named the starting quarterback at Oklahoma. That man is Grant Benson. What's up, Grant? I mean, that's actually factual. That's You're right on that one. That was... Uh... Although I did get, uh, I, I, I picked Kentucky to win the national championship, and everyone kind of knows how, how that turned out. And I didn't really care, though, this year, because on the first two days of the tournament, like, I was in Colorado, and I was, I was putting cold, hard cash live on the games. And once you go to that, the bracket challenge just does not matter anymore. I don't care. Do you, like, do you kind of agree with that? Yeah, I agree. I think that's a big reason why I wasn't super into it this year as well. And we were texting before the tournament started. We won't go very long on this. I know you guys don't care about this, but uh, we were both kind of on the same page. I, th- I think you texted me like, ah, I don't see a whole lot of upsets happening here. And I think my bracket was the same. I only had maybe like two, you know, and then this this tournament this year had a ton, obviously. So, yeah, immediately uh, day one, day two, our brackets are trash. But, you know, you were in Colorado making bets. And that kind of supersedes your your bracket because, you know, you win, you lose. You can go on to the next day and have a whole brand new slate of plays. So who cares if your bracket's gone? So maybe that's just a mixture of getting older uh, mixed with, obviously, gambling being legal in some places now in America. And, you know, for me, I dabble here and there. I, I can I can make plays here and there to, to make the, the bracket challenge obsolete as well. Uh, unfortunately, though, uh, I wish I wouldn't have because it was it's been bad. I I, I did not win a lot. Uh, did you win anything, in Colorado? I so I had a really good day on day one, um, and then got I I kind of got wiped out a little bit on Friday, um, and then I was more even on Saturday. I was able to play some bets, you know, before I I left town for the Saturday games. Um, a little more even then. So I had a really good day first day. And I ended up I ended up being like up thirty bucks for the for the first weekend of the tournament, which you know I mean, that's that's thirty bucks. Of, yeah, you take it. Uh, yeah, I'll take that all day long. But uh, no, I, I down sixty. I did end up having uh, I had Kansas and I did have Kansas and Villanova in the final four. Um, it just so happened that <laughs> they were the only teams that I got to the elite eight. Also, so yeah, it pretty uh, just not not a great year in that regard. But that's that's okay. Weird year of college basketball. Really weird year. Yeah, and more importantly, who cares? <laughs> who cares? Uh, I do have Kansas winning it all, though, so I, I could still get the champion right, even though my bracket doesn't matter. All right, but again, like I said a moment ago, who cares? I think a lot of people care. Let's talk spring practice. I think a lot of people care. Nah. But, yeah, I mean, well, in not... in the context of this podcast, but, no. I mean, we're, no like, but, right, I mean, we got to get on to the most important topic of this podcast, right, which is 
obviously the the slap heard around the world in the Oscars. Yeah, we're we're, we're going to spend at least <laughs> forty five minutes to an hour breaking that down, right? Uh, is it is it not passed or is that still a thing? I I totally I, missed that on Sunday. I was super busy at work, and then when I you know I got off work around eleven eleven thirty, and you know Twitter is a buzz uh, with the video, and yeah. I, I don't know. I, haven't, I don't think uh, people care about that either, man. Haven't been super plugged in today, but I, I still believe that it is the A topic in the United States today. Still think it is. Everyone's talking about it still. <laughs> well, well, good for the Oscars, I guess. It's just, it's clear- most people have talked about that award show. As I say, it's clearly just a bunch of people who have not been uh, treated to a Brent Venables press conference yet. Oh, very well done. Because they would be obviously talking about that if they had. That's that's a fantastic transition, incredible professional transition there, by the man whose bracket is uh, worth uh, worth less than uh, the the r- current Russian currency, whatever that would may be. The ruble. God, that's or, topical. I don't even know what they are. Wow. Yeah. It's just a uh, mm-hmm. yeah. Whoa, man. <laughs> All right. So enough of this nonsense. Uh, us just kind of messing around. Uh, spring practice started last week. Here we go. Spring practice started last week. We've been able to get out onto the field. Three different times. Uh, unfortunately for me, I was only able to make it twice. I missed the first day of practice. I had a doctor's appointment scheduled months ago. Couldn't change it, so that happened to be on the first day of spring ball. So couldn't make the first day, but I was there. Practice two and practice three. And let me tell you, Grant, three practices, 40 minutes each. And I got to say, that's a lot more access than we ever got while Lincoln Riley was the head coach at Oklahoma. And I'm pretty sure it's even more access than when Bob Stoops was the head coach. I can't say that with you know, full certainty, but I have heard that uh, Stoops was pretty similar to, to Lincoln Riley, where he'd let you in you know, maybe twice in the spring, twice in the fall for you know, 15, 20 minutes, maybe if he's feeling real nice, 25. I don't even know if 30 minutes ever happened once. If it did, I, I can't remember it. And so... In you know, three different sessions so far this spring, 40 minutes each, that's a combined amount of time of two hours. That's like more time, I think, the math, or at least uh, maybe like the same amount of time that the math would play out to like a full season spring and fall of like a Lincoln Riley team. And that's just great for what I do. I get you know video of as many guys as possible. And a lot of the time, 15, 20 minutes, that goes by so fast and my head is spinning and I'm just going through it and I can't really pay attention to a whole lot, but going twice, I wish I could have gone three times, but at least I got to go twice and getting that extra 20 minutes each time allowed me to obviously get a lot of video, but I was able to probably observe a lot more things than I otherwise would have if Lincoln Riley was still the head coach. And so if you'd like, I can go through my, uh, my spring practice number two and spring practice, I guess technically number four is what we saw. I can go over kind of what stood out to me in the uh, combined hour and 20 minutes I was there, if, if you want. I like that. I, you know, I, I like that as a prompt to get us going here, because I, I, I figure, Lee, maybe we might have some things to discuss based on some of your observations from the practice. I do want I, I I to mention right. just one thing, though. Your, your sentiment, what you're talking about right now, this has, been, this has been a fairly consistent message that I've heard from OU Media in the last couple of weeks, really. And um, in terms of coverage and in terms of content and information that is out there compared to how it was over the last five off seasons, it's night and day. It's, it's, it's actually like it's impossible not 
to uh, not to realize it, not to see it, not just with the media, but with like Oklahoma social media as well. I feel like is throwing out more information, or is, or maybe that's maybe that's just a perception because everything is a little more open. Um, but it's it's not. I mean, obviously it you know it acts as as a pretty uh, you know a pretty obvious clear cut. Um, example of something that's the exact opposite of Lincoln Riley, and so they're. Um, I doubt that this is what they're trying to do. But what this, d- in terms of like trying to you know give the finger to, to Riley, that's not so, that's not what is happening here. I like to think they're doing this because they you know uh, they understand not just Brent Venables, but a lot of the people that he's brought in on in the support staff. They understand how important it is for the fan base to be bought into the program and for the fan base to feel like they're part of the program. And that's what happens when you start to give a lot of access like this. Because then all of a sudden, like, I'm telling you, like, this spring football right now, like, the the amount of coverage that we're getting of it, it feels like fall camp. I mean, that's kind of what it feels like right now. And I, and I think it's probably just because of compare and contrast the two regimes that have been there. And it just sort of, it just feels like a breath of fresh air. Uh, but it's been great so far. I mean, it's it's been really, it's been very refreshing to know that spring practice is going on and whenever I go on to Twitter or I go in and read some of the, you know, the journalists covering it, if I go to Sooner Scoop, I mean, there is just an absurd amount of content and coverage and and observations as well. Like, we, we know a lot more about these players right now than we ever would have if the other guy was still here. And uh, one other difference, too, and, and maybe a lot of the stuff you guys don't care about because you don't have the same job that I do, and I'm the one that gets to go to this stuff. So, you know, sometimes when I talk about the media, I can understand if some of you are like, I don't care about that. Just talk about the team. I get it. I just want to acknowledge that. Uh, but just real quick, now that fall practice, fall practice, uh, you got fall practice in my head. It's spring. Spring has started. We're done with Zoom interviews. The, the Zoom interviews are done. So they're actually letting us talk to the players in person and not even at the, the podium where they're still you know, far away and it's kind of a press conference setting. That's where the coaches are, which is fine. Uh, but the players are putting at a table and they're letting us gather around like old times and talk to the players in a scrum. And it's, it's a small thing. I know probably to a lot of you listening, and, and it, it really is. I, I get it. But it does allow a little bit more informality, and I feel like you kind of get a chance to get to know the guys a little bit better, and maybe they let their guard down a little bit more. And you can ask them questions that maybe you otherwise couldn't so I think that goes to your point that yeah I think we're maybe learning a little bit more about these players not to mention we've we've talked to a couple guys for the first time like we talked to Danny Stutzman for the first time talked to Billy Bowman for the first time Uh, Dylan Gabriel still has not talked yet he had class last week so hoping that he goes to the uh, for the first time to the media tomorrow we're recording this on the 29th so just wanted to get that out there real quick as well also do want to point out go over just just one just one more little nugget because you brought up the, the like the scrums with the players um, you're going to get a lot better answers from the players. Um, I, I partly probably because it's more informal and it's just a lot easier to, you know, if, if you're just in a conversational mood. Um, but also because the last guy, the last regime absolutely told the players what they could and couldn't say. So I, and I, and I'm, I'm just assuming that, and maybe there's a little bit of that still going on. I don't know. There's going to be, there's going to be that again, there's going to be a version of that with, I think that's not only a Lincoln Riley thing. I, uh, just I'm well I mean I guess kind of the just with I with, I mean, with Lincoln Riley's players it, it was just very obvious that they had been coached as to what to say um I, yeah. at least it was to me I'm just you know I, I I'm more thinking 
uh, just like, you know, a lot of the times, right, when you actually, when you're coaching players what to say, I'm sure there's always going to be that little voice in the back of their head like, eh, I want to say this thing, but I probably shouldn't. And that's probably going to be gone now, and I, we'll probably talk about this later, you know, in the in the podcast, but Billy Bowman has already had a really candid moment this week where he where I think he unintentionally kind of threw the last regime under the bus. Um, and I, I loved it. It was great. It was, it was a confirmation. <laughs> it was a confirmation of something that the fan base has known for a long time, but has never been confirmed publicly. And so we'll, we'll, we'll get to it, but I'm, I'm ex- it's a nice little tease. I'm excited for that one. Yeah, I do have some, some sound bites from the media portions of practice to play today. Don't have any sound from Billy Bowman, but I actually have Brent Venables on Billy Bowman. And I got to say this real quick. It's I was kind of bagging on Venables our last podcast because he, he was talking a lot and it's just I've heard a lot of the same things over and over over again. Now that we've had a few practices under our belt and we can ask him about players and what's going on already. Uh, he talked yesterday on the 28th and the fact that he could talk about practice and actually on field stuff. Oh, my gosh, I'm in. Like, thank you. And I got some stuff. It, it's that's what he's he's here for. And like now I, we're actually getting this stuff on the field and we can learn about stuff as opposed to just his philosophical vision for the program, which we all kind of know by now. So here's what I saw. Uh, you, you got one more thing to add before I go into this? No? Okay. So here's what kind of what, what stood out to me. At, you know, the first, uh, I guess, three practices, but I was at two and three. And so I'm not sure how the first practice began, but practices two and three, both practices started out where Brent Venables, you could tell, is immediately trying to get the juices flowing, trying to get everybody going, excited. And everyone gathers at midfield, they break it down, and then everyone immediately starts sprinting to their each individual special team stations. And the music that starts playing immediately is Motley Crue's Kickstart My Heart, which is a fantastic song. I love that song. It's, it's no doubt it's on every workout playlist. Uh, it's on probably every like stadium anthem playlist. You hear it a lot in, in hockey games. It's, it's a great song. It's a good song to get you going. And so that played both times. So clearly they're like, okay, let's get, let's get the, the blood flowing. Let's go. So that's, that would go on. Uh, they would do special teams with a sense of urgency. And then after that, we'd see them go into individual drills. And I, you know, I stopped to watch the, you know, for two different days. I've stopped to watch a couple of position groups. And so I'll start with the offensive line. And I watched the offensive line uh, actually a little bit both times and there's not a whole lot to report there honestly the most newsworthy thing I could can report I'm not sure if anybody's even said this yet uh, but he was there at practice so I mean we were there I mean they could have put him away if they wanted to but uh, Andrew Rame on uh, Monday morning so a day ago I saw unfortunately he was walking around he had a boot on his right foot uh, no idea how serious you know what's going on who knows uh, he was dressed out in full pads. So, like, he wasn't in street clothes. He was dressed, and he was going through uh, – he wasn't going through drills, but they had him off to the side working out with the assistant strength coaches, doing some some strength, you know, conditioning type stuff. So, he wasn't just standing around doing nothing. He was actually kind of working out. So, I'm you – know, I don't know anything about it, but I just – I observe that, and as time goes on, I'm sure we're going to get some more details on what's going to go on with – Andrew Rame, hopefully nothing too serious. Yeah, it makes me wonder if that's related to because remember he got he got kind of rolled up on in that Iowa State game um, at the end of the season. Makes me wonder so, if it's, if if that's related. Um, but also, that right was my when first you hear thought, say that again, that was my first thought. So I went back and looked. I believe the the injury last season 
was to his left leg, his left foot, okay. and the boot was on his right foot this time. So, okay, it so could not, be different. Probably not. I'm pr- probably pretty safe to say those those aren't related. But you also, like you said, he was he was in full pads. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so I mean, if he was if he was in full pads and he was getting work in on the side, then I mean, you got to think he's fine. It's just a precaution thing. Yeah, no, yeah, no, that was a good sign. Like he was he was fully dressed. Uh, he just didn't he wasn't going through uh, like like hitting the sleds and doing all that stuff. So that's kind of like the you know the bit, little bit of nugget bit of information I have about the offensive line. Uh, let's see what else. Uh, okay, Dylan Gabriel. I mean, that's an easy one. Everyone, hey, Dylan Gabriel, he's here. He's on the practice field for the first time. What's he look like? Uh, he looked like, you know, about what I expected after watching tape of him at UCF. Uh, yeah, he's small in stature. He, he looks like a kind of a version of, I guess, Kyler Murray out there, but he looks a little bit bigger than Kyler Murray, I guess maybe, and maybe not, not quite as tall as Baker Mayfield. He's kind of like maybe in the middle five, five, and a half, maybe. Uh, and Hey, uh, he is left-handed confirm that he's definitely throwing the football around with his left hand. Haven't seen him throw it much, though. Uh, a big difference, I'd say, in the way that these practices went down compared to when Lincoln Riley was the head coach is that before, when Riley was here, the quarterbacks would play pitch and catch with the receivers and the tight ends relatively quickly uh, after stretching was over with. That was, I believe, the first thing they would do. And so we'd see a lot of throws. We'd see Spencer Rattler. We'd see Caleb Williams, Jalen Hurts. We'd see these guys throw the ball around a lot. Uh, Baker Mayfield, obviously. Uh, and here, they don't get to that portion of practice until right before we're about to leave before we're, we're kicked out and I say kicked out uh, very nicely because they wait for 40 minutes before they t- ask us to leave so we, I haven't seen him throw the ball much uh, and when I have it's kind of been more into the flats slants you know not like pushing it down the field so not a lot to report there with his arm strength or the ball coming out of his his hand uh, but I, I will say and this is not surprising everybody you talk to they love Dylan Gabriel uh, it sounds like he's done everything right. He's a leader right away. Uh, he's done it all the right way. They're following him. And so, again, we're waiting for him to talk. And I'm sure whenever he talks, hopefully it's tomorrow, I'm sure he'll be great. I'm sure he'll say all the right things. He's a veteran player. If he wasn't doing those things, what do you think the, like, the message would be from them? That's a great question because I was trying to – I was thinking, like, I didn't know if it would be a dumb question. I think I was talking to uh, Drake Stoops, or we were talking to Drake Stoops last week. And they kept – he was one of the guys that kept saying, yeah, yeah, everything's doing everything great. Like he – we kind of – yeah, we saw some of his tape. And maybe this was Theo Weiss. I, all these – talked. To, we talked to a lot of receivers last week. Uh, Weiss, Stru, uh, Stoops, uh, Jaleel Farouk. So a lot of what their messages are were very similar. Uh, but they were all praising Dylan Gabriel. And in my mind, I was thinking I, – I wanted to think of a question of like, well, did you guys – like what if they weren't doing that? <laughs> you know, like like – would that be weird if they if the starting quarterback wasn't doing this? But eh, that could be a dumb question. Like I, I I hadn't thought this through yet. But to your point, isn't that what the guy's supposed to be doing? So yes, like it's one of those things where you hear like, oh yeah, that's good. And if it was any other way, you'd be like, whoa, that's bad. Well, I mean, I think there's <laughs> I think there's plenty out there to to question whether or not uh, the QB one at this time of year last year was was doing those things. Yeah. Yeah. But also, I've already Williams because I I heard and I heard he was pretty good in the spring last year. Yeah, (laughs) I was gonna say I've already I've I've already totally absolved Spencer Rattler for anything that happened here. So, right, yeah, yeah, you have Uh, more offensive observations. Uh, Let's go to the wide receivers. Talked about Gabriel there for a moment. Uh, Freshman receiver Jaden Gibson. 
yes, he does stand out because he is very tall, uh, 6'5", 190. He looks every bit of it, but also he does look skinny. Uh, not surprising, but, I mean, he looks, he looks real thin, so he'll put some weight on. Theo Weiss is back. Good to see him moving around, looking healthy. Looks like Theo. You know, but I haven't seen a whole lot of action yet from the wide receivers for the reason why uh, I said a moment ago is that they haven't done a whole lot of passing drills running routes until the very end uh, before we kind of get asked to leave. So I haven't seen them move around a whole lot. I, I, I will say another observation that I noticed yesterday is that Rodney Anderson's brother, Nick Anderson, a freshman who I, I liked his tape, the little bit of amount of high school tape I saw, it seemed like every play he was scoring a touchdown. Uh, he had a cast on one of his hands, one of his wrists yesterday. I think it was his left. Uh, but he was in full pads. He was he was going through through some drills. He just wasn't getting passes thrown to him. So he was doing everything with the exception of attempting to catch passes. So, I, you know, that's a good sign, I guess. Um, but uh, that's just another thing I noticed that looks like he's not fully 100%. Uh, it is the spring, so I'm sure that'll be fine. Uh, tight end-wise, haven't seen much of them. Just something that stood out to me yesterday, looking around, watching them kind of run routes towards the end of practice or towards the end of the portion we were there. I saw number 18 running around, and of course, my first thought, oh, St yeah. Well, my first thought was, hey, Austin Stogner. Oh, yeah, he's not here anymore. Uh, so, yeah, Caden Helms is wearing number 18, and uh, he looks like an easy athlete. Looks smooth, uh, big, big dude. And that's why I thought Stogner. He's a big dude, 6'5", six, 6'6", six, six, somewhere in there. And so uh, number 18 is yet another pretty pretty large tight end. So that's least probably you know Probably my favorite offensive player in this most recent recruiting class is Caden Helms. So I think oh. he's, got, he's got a chance to be really special. I'm a, I'm a big fan of guys who are really tall and can catch and move really well. And he checks yeah. all of those boxes. He, unfortunately, the two times I noticed him when he was running routes and whatever drill they were running, whoever was throwing him the ball, because I, I, I had a camera and I was ISOing on Helms just watching him. I don't know who was throwing it. But whoever was throwing it both times uh, had really poor accuracy because bo both passes were way over his head. And I didn't get a chance to see if he could actually you know, catch the football. Yeah, it's probably not. It's probably not great or nice that my very first thought when you think that is, ah, it's, it's probably Bowens. It's probably Micah. <laughs> um, well, I'm going to leave that right there. I'm not sure how to, how to add to that one. I don't either. Um, I don't yeah, either. Maybe, it was kind of a cheap shot, yeah. to be honest with you. Yeah, not, uh, very much so a cheap shot. Very much so. I thought you were going to say it was Dylan Gabriel. I was like, ah, crap, it's Dylan Gabriel. Oh, no, I've already, <laughs> I've, I've already talked. He's going to win the Heisman. I've already talked myself into it. Man, you've got a, He's gonna be great. almost in the full 180, yeah. Uh, so I, I feel like I have a lot more thoughts on the offense. Defensively, not as many thoughts, but we actually have a lot of defensive stuff to talk about during the show, but I'll just kind of go over just a, a couple things that stood out. Uh, Jaron Kanick, number seven, the linebacker, freshman. He looks the part. I mean, he, he physically he looks the part, um, like he belongs. Not surprising because you've heard so much about him. Uh, cool to see Todd Bates out there with the defensive tackles just because of how, uh, you know, how much – like we believe that he is going to be a, a great assistant coach and a great recruiter and his track record of recruiting and how important he is to the health of this program and getting this program to where we hope it can be. Uh, also, Miguel Chavis out there working as well uh, with the defensive ends. I do have some sound to play later on from Miguel Chavis, him talking about Hawaii transfer Jonah Laulu. Uh, Laulu, I saw him out there wearing number eight. So uh, number eight is once again – 
being utilized by on the defensive side by a very large human being because of course the last couple of years it was Perry on Winfrey and now it's going to be uh, Jonah Laulu wearing number eight and he goes about 6'5", 270, 272. But I got to say, when I saw him, I thought he'd look bigger. I thought he'd look bigger. And so I, I think maybe I'm just jaded to this stuff when I see these guys in person. Uh, because 6'5", 270 is big. But for whatever reason, I guess I thought he'd look like, a, like an NBA player in pads, which I guess in theory, he kind of is the size of like a two guard or like a, or like a really big three or four uh, in pads. Yeah, I Any think thoughts? he's just kind of a... He's just sort of a different body type than they've had at, at defensive end, you know, over the last handful of years. I don't know. Lee, I'm about to dust off an old classic here. It's going to be an interesting reference here. I don't, I don't remember the last time this guy has been referenced on any OU media from anyone. Here we go. When I saw the pictures of, <laughs> of, of, of Jonah, uh, I think it's Laulu is how you pronounce his last yes. name? Yes, yes. And that's, that's, gonna be, that's, that's a really fun name to say that I'll probably mess up very regularly over the next <laughs> over the next 12 months but um body type and what he looked like because yeah I, I i agree that he did not look even in the pictures he didn't look quite as big as i was expecting i don't know why but the only thing the only player i can think of when i see him out there is a guy who never started a game for ou because of an injury and that's addison gums he, he looks like addison gums i body type and maybe i'm just like Maybe that like that was four years ago now, and I'm just I'm just totally, <laughs> I am just like totally, totally off my rocker right now, and totally wrong. But all I could think of was Addison Gums when oh I saw him. God. I was like, "Is man, is, is Gums back? Crazy." <laughs> okay, yeah, we're, so, we're bringing everyone back. Venables is back. Okay, Addison was... Gums is back. Man, <laughs> man. Okay, here's the thing. I I was prepared for a deep deep cut like. We're talking like early 2000s. Oh, you telling me like Addison Gums is not a deep cut? I, okay, I mean, that's like with, that's like the Lincoln Riley era. That's not. I mean, it's a deep cut, and as far as the randomness of the player, because he he never played really at Oklahoma. He just he he never started, like you said. Uh, no, that Addison Gums needed to put a bunch of weight on. Addison Gums kind of looked like a version defensively of like Jaden Gibson, <laughs> like super tall but pretty pretty skinny. Uh, Laulu at 270 is not is not skinny, and I guess we could go back and look at uh, 20, 2018 I guess was it was it the twenty eighteen season where he transferred the like the day before the first game or so, or like the no, day man, of the he first got, game? He, he tore his ACL like two days before the season opener. He was at the top of the depth chart. He was going to start. I mean, yeah, I remember he was going to play, but then I, th- I think he ended up he he basically transferred like the day of the first game to Oregon State. And so I guess, you know, I, I should go back and look at his freshman year, what he was listed as. Now, like, because that'll give us an idea. Let me be clear here. I am, <laughs> if we were to put like the pictures of Jonah Laulu from this past week up against Addison Gums in an OU uniform, or even you can do Addison Gums in a, in a Washington State uniform or an Oregon State uniform, I'm sorry. Oregon State, yeah. <laughs> I am, I'm pretty sure they're not going to look anything alike, but <laughs> 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 I'm just telling you how I feel, baby. That's all. Well, I'm on the Oklahoma website. I went through the 2018 roster, the 2017 roster to try to search for his name and not even not even coming up. So I feel like he's just totally been scrubbed from Oklahoma's uh, website. Another another Uh, thing that Riley did, I'm sure. I'm sure as soon as he transferred, I bet Riley like, I don't know, scrubbed every minute or had 
had his underlings scrub every mention of his name everywhere in the university, probably in the state of Oklahoma too. Definitely on the website. You know. He burned all of his OU Jordan gear. Yeah. Probably made a little a bonfire. Probably made a yeah. small little like Addison Gums like straw figure and stuck a bunch of needles in it and stuff. <laughs> what? Hey, I it's uh, it's it's not out of the realm of possibility. That's all I'm saying. Uh, yeah. No, nothing is, yeah. Uh okay. One final observation from spring practice that I I want to hit on and I think it'll transition us to the rest of the show. And this is easy. I, I mean Brent Venables. We're seeing him out there as a head coach, first time, jumping around from position group to position group. Uh, saw him last week working with Todd Bates in the defensive line, uh, jumping in to give his thoughts. Yesterday, I saw him, saw him with Ted Roof and the linebackers. Uh, and the linebackers are, of course, his bread and butter. That's what he does best. And you know, I, I posted a couple of those videos to Twitter, so you, some of you may have seen it. I know, obviously, Oklahoma fans want to see Venables out there getting his hands dirty, working with the players. I mean, so did I. That's why I was looking for it through my camera lens, uh, because you know what he's done, his reputation, what we know about him. It's just seeing him work with the guys. It's just it's very comforting, I think, knowing that these young players are no doubt getting some incredible coaching, and it's better coaching. Uh, I mean, no offense to the previous regime, but it's just it's facts. It, this is going to be better coaching than they got defensively, just because Brent Venables is maybe the best in the game. And so that's my last comment on what I've seen at practice so far um, is just seeing Brent Venables out there uh, talking to and you know this is I said it in my opening take this is not surprising what else are they going to say but based on all the decisions he's made and what I was talking about in the opening take and, and everything has kind of gone right you know Reggie Grimes uh, Miguel Chavis you know they say hey, yeah like it's his first time as a head coach but you'd never know it like it looks like he's it's just smooth it's natural. And you see him on the field, and you see him talk, and everything he does, and all the decisions he's made, and yeah, it looks legitimate. And the more this goes on, until you know wins and losses start happening, and we can actually get some real you know, resolution on to, or real results, maybe on you know how he is, I, I feel pretty confident about my thought of like this is the best first time head coach ever, just based off of his reputation and his experience. How could it not be? It just it, it has to be unless. There's a deep cut in college football history that I'm just not aware of because I'm young and stupid that where a coach had, you know, 20 years of being a assistant coach and 10 or 15 or more being like one of the best assistant coaches in college football and then just decided at the end to take a head coaching job very similar to Brent Venables. If that's happened before, great. I just don't know if it has. Any other thoughts uh, that you want to hit on before we move on to the rest of the show? <clears throat> Addison Gums doesn't look anything like Jonah Laulu. <laughs> I'm sorry, I had, I had to look it up. It's not even close. I'm sorry, everyone. Okay, but uh, but but that was obviously a, a Hall of Fame. Your credibility West of just moment. took a massive hit, a massive hit to your credibility right there. I, I don't know if people listen to this podcast anymore because of that. I mean, you might as well have compared Jonah Laulu to Kenneth Mann or. Uh, uh, Mario Williams from last year. I don't know. Honestly, <laughs> Kenneth Mann's not a good example. Kenneth Mann, Kenneth Mann, and, Kenneth Mann and Addison Gums look look pretty pretty similar, <laughs> to be honest with you. <laughs> That's kind of another deep cut, Kenneth Mann. There we go. Uh, I was I was man. I was well. Kenneth Mann's biggest critic. I hated that guy. I didn't actually. I loved <laughs> him, but <laughs> it's. <laughs> 
just the the amount of range and the amount of things we've talked about on the show since it existed is is pretty hilarious. Okay, I do actually want to go back because I'm because you are you, okay. You while I was sitting there just cracking up to myself, <laughs> going through Google images, looking at Addison Gums, looking nothing like Jonah Laulu. <laughs> um, you actually made a really good point there about Venables. I you know, I'm sure I'm I'm sure that's an arguable point that you made about him being just the the most ready first time head coach ever. Um, I mean, his his resume is is kind of overwhelming, but um, you you tweeted out that video of him coaching up the linebackers the other day, and that's I mean that's that's kind of an impactful video, isn't it? I mean, like it's when I I, I watched that video three or four times all the way through, and the only you're right, the only thing I could think of was, yeah, I can't imagine that last guy ever doing anything like that, even with okay. you know even with the offensive guys. Okay, like I just want to make it clear now since you brought it up. That video was a joke. Like it was, it was intended as a joke, while also showing the fact that Brent Venables was being very hands-on with the linebackers. Uh, the best jokes, Lee, have lots of elements of truth to them. I just want to make that clear since you brought it up, because yes, I'm very well aware <laughs> that Lincoln Riley was a quarterbacks coach and an offensive coordinator, and he wouldn't be doing that with the the linebackers. I that's the joke. I just if I not that I think most people got that, but you know I I it's. There's been a lot of replies and stuff, and there's some people that very similar to the Colin Cowherd tweet from a couple weeks ago or a week ago, where he was trolling people, and there's and like Eddie Radosevich was making fun of people. Like, how how do you not understand that he's trolling you? That's kind of the way I felt with some people. It's like, yeah, like yes, I I. So I, I gotta say, first of all, to all of those out there that pointed out to me and brought to my attention that Lincoln Riley was an offensive coach. Thank you, I appreciate that. Good to know. It's like, and so that, yeah. So I just wanted to, I'll address it here. Yeah. It was a dumb joke. It was a stupid joke, but I'm glad that people saw the video. The whole point is that it's cool to see Brent Venables out there doing that. I'm sure Lincoln Riley did versions of that with the offensive guys. Like we saw him work with the quarterback. Sure. That's his job. No way. Like I I don't expect, (laughs) yeah. I don't expect Brent, uh, Brent Venables to go over to the quarterbacks and be like, Hey, hey, Jeff Levy, take a step back. Let me let me show Dylan Gabriel how to throw the. I don't expect that to happen. I don't think that's. I think Brent Venables, like he obviously knows a bunch about quarterbacking, and because he's a a football guy and he's a head coach and he knows about every position. Don't get me wrong, and so does Lincoln Riley. He does. Uh, but that that was the it was a dumb joke by me, and hopefully most of you saw that it was a stupid joke. But the main point is the video. It was a cool video. Yeah, I mean that's like I'm not. What I'm saying there is not. Like yes, of course Lincoln Riley wouldn't do that with the linebackers. Like all of a sudden he he like takes takes time out of going going through progressions with Kayla Williams to go over and coach up Stutzman on how to do the proper like I don't know <laughs> like a proper curl zone. I don't know, but no, I mean it was just cool, just like because that video Brent Venables he just looks like a football coach. It's like that guy's coaching. I mean that's what he's and like I think it was just it, it's it's a it's an effective video because of course like I mean we're. We're a fan base spurned, you know, after especially after five five years, right, of of a lot of secrecy and never really seeing that personality out on the football field from the coaching staff or anything like that. It's just like it's I think maybe it's evidence that we're just starving for anything like that. Um, And by us, I mean me in that situation. (laughs) I, I, I love that. I've watched that video a ton of times. I mean, that's just like it's the energy. The energy is dripping off of him. He has, you can tell, he's just, he has so much enthusiasm for what he's doing there. And I could tell you in a million years what he's talking about. 
But it's, 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 it's fun to watch the guy clearly in his comfort zone, executing his craft, just completely being in the zone. That was, I, I like what? I like watching professionals do their work. And he has, for the millionth time, he's got the resume, he's got the skins on the wall to make it to where that's why it's so exciting. Because you know what the results have been in the past. <laughs> I mean, the, the, the guy's defenses are awesome. I mean, they're really, really good, and he gets guys to the NFL a lot of the time. And the teams win championships. And the players sing his praises, and they become really good people. And that's, that's the whole part of this program. Uh, that he's trying to instill. And, you know, I've heard about it over and over and over again. And it's a good thing. Uh, I'm kind of bored of it, though, and I'm glad that they're on the field and now they're talking football. And we're seeing them do football things, which is what, what's makes, you know, what, what makes me a little bit more excited now uh, coming out of the offseason and going into spring ball. And we're going to get into the summertime. We're going to be back where it is, kind of starving for it, but at least we're getting this taste right now of spring football and Brent Venables and this program going, going after it, even though, man, they have a long ways to go. Breaking news, right? A long ways to go. Yeah, uh, we're talking def- Whatever. It, 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 it's going to go super fast. It'll be here before we know it. Well, I mean, as far as like a long way to go to get to where they want to go, not like the first game of the season. Uh, uh, I, mean, I mean, gee, I don't know what you're complaining about. I mean, they already got the Heisman winner on campus. <laughs> they got... <laughs> They got some other things too. You see, they, they, the, they brought they brought in right, a they, new stadium guy to do the stadium music and stuff. So, okay, like, so, so actually, we're gonna hit on that at the very end of the show. We have a a Facebook question that I think will be a perfect time for us to to talk about what you just talked about there, which may be uh, the most important thing actually that Brent Venables has done. And I'm assuming this is a Brent Venables decision. Maybe it's not even his decision. I don't know. Or maybe it's a Thad Turnipseed decision. I don't know. Uh, but uh, yeah, there's a there's a, a higher that came across on Monday that you brought my attention to. And it addresses something that you have been very critical about in the past uh, towards Oklahoma on this podcast. And so we'll hit on that later in the show. That is a deep tease. Uh, All right. So we talked about defense, obviously, a little bit there with Brent Venables and, and the rest of the guys. Let's get to the offense, though. Turn the page over to the offense and spring practice storylines. Talked about Dylan Gabriel a little bit. He's here. He's QB1. That's great. Uh, big question though is, you know, we have an idea of what Jeff Levy's offense is going to be. We know that it's, uh, you know, they spread it out, they go fast, uh, they score a lot of points. At least uh, traditionally, his offenses have scored a lot of points, whether it's UCF, whether it's at Ole Miss. Uh, but he was asked by Barry Trammell the other day, last week, said, "Hey Jeff, you know, how is your offense gonna you know, gonna look compared to you know what you did back when you were at Baylor under Art Bryles, you know, when you were at UCF." in Oxford at Ole Miss, you know, what's this offense going to look like? And here's what Jeff Lebby had to say. I think the thing that is the constant is the tempo, right? We're going to play incredibly fast. We're going to push the tempo. We're going to dictate how the game is played. That's where it starts for us. But we're going to be different than we were last year in Oxford or two years ago in Oxford or in, in Orlando. Again, to me, it's still all about changing and getting better and being different and finding ways to attack defenses every single year. So there's going to be a bunch of differences uh, that people will notice as we get going. But again, to me, that's my job. So that's Jeff Lebby last week on his his offense. And I think the main point in there, at least from where I stand and probably where you stand as well, is that He's telling us that, yeah, you know, his offense is going to have tempo. That's the constant. But it's not always going to be the same. It's going to be different, and that is his job. And to me, that's what stands out because, uh, again, we've talked about this before on the show about Lincoln Riley and, and Oklahoma. Uh, what Lebby's saying 
is is that's what it is. It's all talk. It's all words right now. You know, we'll see how this goes in practice when the season gets here. And, you know, God forbid years go by and, and he's, we see his offense, how it progresses throughout the years, you know, depending on how long he sticks around. Uh, so, I mean, there's a chance that he's, he's kind of full of it, depending on what we see on the field. But for right now, that sounds really good because over and over again, we would see the Lincoln Riley offense. It would get kind of stuck in the mud at times. You know, think back to last year, Baylor, Oklahoma State, Iowa State, a game they ended up winning uh, where adjustments weren't being made. And it seemed like there wasn't any sort of counteraction to what the defense was doing to him. And that's just last season. Uh, but there's been examples of that in the past. I can think back to the Rose Bowl in the second half against Georgia. I mean, they moved the ball on one series. And thankfully, it, you know, I think it ended up tying the game or they took the lead late when they had you know, the Dimitri Flowers touchdown pass. But that was the one time they were able to move the ball. And you know, Georgia wasn't doing anything that particularly crazy against them. They were just playing a bunch of man press tight coverage and, and Oklahoma could not figure out how to attack it and move the ball. And so it's good to hear Jeff Lebby say that, Hey, my job is that I need to get this football team to move the football no matter what. And in order to do that, I may have to make some changes here and there away from things that maybe I like to do, or I've done traditionally or what I'm comfortable with. And again, that's my job. And so again, we'll see if that actually comes to fruition in practice over time, but it's just nice to hear that. And that stood out to me hearing Jeff Lebby talk. Yeah, I think this is where it's really valuable that uh, Kale Gundy and Bill Biedenboe are still on the staff. Um, I, you know, I, I, I got to think they're especially Kale. They're gonna have some nuggets, and you know, I, I, I'd like to think that you know Lebby's gonna listen to him. You'd, you'd think he would. Um, and so yeah, I mean, I, I, I fully expect that that offense to evolve a little bit. Um, the tempo stuff is nice to hear. Um, there's parts of me that are just like ah, you know, there, there is such thing as too much tempo though. Um, and so, but. Jury's out on that. I mean, I, I have no idea what it's going to look like. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of the type of person um, who would prefer to be selective with tempo um, in, instead of doing it all the time. But, um, you know, because, you know, him going in and, like, changing stuff, what's going to be different between his offenses, when you move fast, kind of like he's professing how fast he wants to move, you do have to have some staples of your offense that you continue to go back to because otherwise, you know, what are you going to build off of? So there's going to be some stuff that they run all of the time, and that probably rarely changes other than some just sort of some wrinkles and some other stuff that they run off of it. But, uh, yeah, I mean, once the season starts up, I'm going to be really interested to see what their tempo actually looks like. I mean, is, it, is this going to be, you know, is this going to be like the 2008 team, which was, I mean, they, that team played absurdly fast, but also at the same time weren't super spread out. They were in the I formation a lot too and very multiple. So, um, no, I, I, I'm always interested to see how that's going to play out, especially with, you know, offensive line conditioning. Um, you know, it's, they were kind of, you know, it's been said that they're really not that tough, not that strong. You know, how does that, um, how does that play with, with, with going really fast? I mean, as, how do you do strength and conditioning? Is it more cardio? Is it more just getting stronger? I don't know. I mean, that's, that's the stuff that I start to think about, um, but it's you know it's it's spring and I'm sure it's it, it's going to be a work in progress. So I don't know though, but it's it, it's weird because um, we haven't seen a lot of tempo the last three or four years at all, and it's kind of like I, I sort of forgot what it looks like. Yeah, it's interesting because a lot of, you know the, a, a layman who doesn't know much about Oklahoma's offense and you know has known that Lincoln Riley's offense has been one of the best in college football for a while and you know he's a kind of an air raid type of guy and don't watch a lot of Oklahoma probably just assume that OU runs a lot of tempo 
you know, just without watching them play much. As, as we know, that's not true. I mean, Oklahoma doesn't run much tempo at all or didn't run much tempo at all, and that's going to change now with Jeff Levy. I can say this from what I've heard is you know, the way practice is going is that the offense is ahead of the defense right now, uh, the, which is not surprising. Uh, I mean, Dylan Gabriel is a guy who's familiar with this offense. He, he knows Jeff Levy's offense, and he's the guy running the show. And the entire defensive side of the football is learning a brand-new scheme, and they all have brand-new coaches. And so the offense has been ahead of the defense right now. And so I've heard that if Jeff Levy was in charge, if it was up to him, they'd be going even faster in practice because like they're even having to slow down because the defense is you know not quite there yet and so uh i've heard that when the offense is running at you know full efficiency uh levy wants to snap the ball every 18 to 20 seconds okay i mean that's that's fast it's not every 10 seconds uh but you know we'll see if that ends up being how or i guess how constant that is how how much we see that um but that that's kind of what i've seen that the defense is again they're kind of swimming in the new scheme and actually we have some sound coming up here uh once we get to the defense from reggie grimes i asked reggie grimes like where they are with their defensive install and so we'll talk a little bit about that and kind of you know where the players say they are and learning the defense so i I wanted to put that out there about uh the way the offense and the defense are interacting um as far as that go you mentioned the offensive line a moment ago i think it's interesting because that's a position group that's always very important and oklahoma is losing some off the offensive line. They're going to have some new players. Uh, let's see, Tyrese Robinson is gone. Uh, Marquise Hayes is gone. Who else am I, am I missing? Somebody? There's somebody else. Okay, just two. Okay, so not not too bad. So they got a couple of players to replace. And so I think I figured, hey, let's like right now, like what do we think the starting five is? And granted, uh, Brent Venable said, hey, there's no depth charts, man. And I assume he means in spring because everything's new. That's fine. Uh, but you know, like I've kind of heard some some rumbling, some things, and we have some returning starters, so we can probably make some educated guesses. Yeah, on who's sure. their playing. What are you talking about? What do you think it is right now, or you try what what our prediction just, is going to be week one? Just right now, just right now, like because prediction is it's tough because I mean, God forbid there could be injuries, uh, people could beat somebody else out, but like just, I mean, I guess whatever you want to do, because because I've I've heard I've heard some people are. are playing certain you know well or, or at certain spots so i guess because right i mean it's going to be with that it's it's going to be about you know who you putting at who you putting at right tackle and who's at left guard i mean that's basically that's the question so i mean if we right because I, I i think we we yeah, yeah both of us would have harrison at left tackle ram at center and murray at right guard which is i think is what is expected um yeah. as of right now I, I mean i don't at left guard i don't i really don't think that they would have brought in mccade mctower if they didn't expect to start him there i really think he's probably he's almost certainly going to be the starting left guard you know barring injury yeah i, I agree and i guess at cal he was mostly at, at uh, right guard where chris murray is but i mean i'm not sure how how difficult a position each guard spot is you know you always hear about tackles of like oh you know learning to play left tackle after you played right tackle maybe there's just the footwork's different and it's di- it's really hard for some guys to figure that out because it's like you're playing left-handed or right-handed or whatever I'm not sure how that how that compares to the guard position, uh, but since Chris Murray's a returning starter at right guard, yeah, I, I there's got to be conversations there, and I'm with you. I mean, it, it makes sense that uh, that Matayer is here to play left guard. I mean, he he started the last two or three years at Cal uh, at right guard, so yeah, you're probably right. Uh, and and I've seen him on the field. He's got you know those those long flowing locks wearing number seventy two. 
So he looks like a big offensive lineman. Looks like a or looks like a looks like an O lineman. Like like he either uh, I was gonna say like he should be at Oklahoma State, kind of like you know the Josh Sills, big mountain man, long hair guy. But I guess Matower does, does he have a beard? Can't remember. If he, does he have a mustache? I don't I think so. Remember? I, not. No. I don't know if you were on because so, during the whole Jackson Dart brouhaha, do you remember the somebody some 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 rube took a picture of him when he was out to eat with Lebby, yeah. and he was like, "Hey, is this Jackson Dart?" I don't I don't think he had a beard in in that picture. <laughs> he just kind of looked like he looked, he looked like Noah Syndergaard. Hey, is this Jackson Dart? I'm looking at his picture on the Cal website, which I'm sure he he actually has a new picture. I'm sure on the OU website, it's more updated, but. Uh, the Cal website last year looks like he had a bit of a goatee, a little bit of a mustache. Uh, who cares? It doesn't matter. What I was trying to get at is he's got the long hair. How are his other features? What about his eyes? It, are they? Uh, uh, they look um, nice. You know, what it, color are they? I, he's got a visor. I can't see through. I can't see through the. Vi- I'm just. I don't. He has a visor. I don't know. Um, I'm sure his eyes are beautiful. I'm sure his eyes are beautiful, just like his soul. Um, and that that'll conclude our our McCade uh, Matawa, and that'll in, that'll conclude West of Evers as a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we, we we think he'll be the left guard. So then, right tackle, who's that right tackle going to be? And, I was going to uh, say, I think that's the um, I mean, that's one of your marquee uh, position battles of the off season, and I think it's it's probably Wanye Morris versus Savion Bird. It sounds like so. I've heard, uh, yeah, I, I've heard that Wanye is looking better than ever. You know, better than he has. Granted, he's only been at OU now. This is only year two for him. Uh, but, yeah, you want Wanye to win this job because you wanted Wanye to win a job last year, and he didn't. <laughs> you know, I don't uh, I, I don't necessarily think it would be – of course, you want Wanye to win. I mean, that would be nice, but it's it's not like it would be a bad thing if – like, what if Savion Bird wins it just because he's good? I mean, okay, it wouldn't, yeah, wouldn't be yeah, a bad sure. thing if a sophomore won the job. Sure, yeah, and, and I've heard – I've heard Bird's name in the mix. I've also heard Aaron Parks in the mix. I'm not, I'm, I think he's a tackle as well. Uh, but then you, you throw around Robert Conjul, and he's got position flexibility. Uh, I mean, is he? St- I suppose, once again, he'll probably end up being kind of that sixth or seventh guy where they're comfortable putting him inside somewhere, whether it's for Andrew Rame at center or, or at, a, at a guard spot. Oh, yeah, we're going to see we're gonna see plenty of Conjul. And, I mean, we got... Andrew Rain was pretty beat up throughout last season. I mean, he, he only he only I don't think he missed a ton of time, but he was he was always kind of dealing with something. So I mean, yeah, Conjol is Conjol's pretty valuable player going into the next season just for the depth that he provides. And I also I mean that's that's the same for whoever loses that right tackle job as well. And and to, I mean I a lot of people can write him off and that's fine, but I you know, having Bray Walker there is not bad. Having a guy there in his 6th year in the program, a big body like that, you know, I he's when he's been in there and he's been forced to play, he's been fine. And as a depth piece, I I think OU has built they got some pretty decent depth on the interior of the offensive line. Well, another player that we haven't mentioned yet that I've heard is actually uh, you know behind Anton Harrison backing up Harrison right now at left tackle is Tyler Guyton. And so depending on how good me. he is, depending on how good he is, maybe he's a player that. You know, could also be one of those six or seven that where they slide him in over on the right side too. And maybe if, if Harrison's playing well, uh, I, I don't know. I mean, Bill Biedenbow, I'm sure like a lot of offensive line coaches, but Biedenbow likes guys that have position flexibility. He likes to be able to move guys around if they can. Um, so that's just I want to make sure I mentioned Guyton's name because I have heard him 
uh, come up is is looking pretty good behind. And he's Anton a Harrison. you know Guyton's a guy who has a reputation for being a, a kind of a super athlete. You know at TCU he lined up at tight end every now and then. I, I think it was a bit when he did. Uh, you know, but it's but if you show the ability to do that, I mean you got to be showing some sort of athleticism. And he's huge. He's a monster human being. So um, that yeah that was a Tyler Guyton was a guy we didn't really talk a whole lot about when he when 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 that pickup happened. But I think that actually may be a sneaky, a sneaky little good pickup right there. Um, just as a, as a project, I mean, you never—I don't think you ever say no to dudes who are six seven, three twenty, who move really well. No, I wouldn't. I'd say, come on in. You are welcome here. Uh, that's all I have on the offensive line. Wide receivers, tight ends, running backs. Don't have. Really much on those three position groups. Uh, I will I feel like add. There's been a uh, there's been a lot, a lot of Dylan Gabriel to Braden Willis social media video action, throwing the same route every single time. That's the one I keep seeing over and over again on a different okay. day. Yeah, I mean that's one of the players where we're curious to see how Willis plays in this offense. Is he a, a player that? can't have a massive role because he's always been a bit player at Oklahoma. He's had injury issues, but you know, he's, he's got the body type. He's got the size. He's relatively athletic. You see him with the ball in his hands. He doesn't move as well as you hope he would sometimes. But, uh, yeah, I, will a new offense but then you, utilize you throw him in a different that, way? That one play he made against Iowa State in 2019 where he, I mean, he, just, he looks like an uber athlete. And I mean, and like I, I'll be the first to admit, we just we I mean, straight up have running seen that after at all. The ca- I mean, that's that's I mean, up to this of, point. Of that's been a fluke. Catch. Yeah, I mean, like like he just doesn't he doesn't seem very limber. Uh, but as far yeah, like jumping and just I. But I guess that part of being limber and like being able to move after the catch is a part of athleticism. So, uh, but yeah, like the play you're talking about was an insane play uh, where he what did he do? Did he did he out did he did he how did what, how did that play go? Did he was it run after the catch or did he make a catch? I thought like, it was oh, a run no, after. I thought it, it was a run the after the line. catch, like a, like in a I short. It was like a five or ten yard run after the catch. Didn't he catch it near the sideline and then run like five like four or five yards and then then put it over the the pylon or something? Well, yeah, for a he, touchdown. I mean, he stretched and reached out. I mean, it yeah. was like he it was full extension. Yeah, I was up in the catbird the catbird seat watching that uh, with a camera filming that. that that's kind of I'm trying to picture that day it was a night game i know that so uh, yeah so Braden willis we'll see how you know maybe you know the caden helms guy is a freshman i don't know how much they're going to use him i'm curious to see how that goes um i have heard that as far as the wide receivers go a, a name that i've heard is surprisingly doing well uh trayvon west trey west which you know he had a couple bit parts last year um main ones i can think of did, did he have a touchdown against oklahoma state or play against oklahoma state Nah, Darby did. No, he should Darby, have. He Darby. was he was the one who was interfered with um, in the end zone oh, yeah. with like twenty seconds left. So the big yeah the big Trayvon West play would, then was the Kansas game where he had, he took the I think a, a reverse like seventy or eighty yards that he didn't score but uh, it was a huge play because Oklahoma was stuck in the mud couldn't get anything going and you know they were in a dogfight against freaking Kansas <laughs> and. Uh, Trayvon West took, I think it was like a reverse, and he took it like 70 or 80 yards. Uh, got him into the red zone. I think OU scored a play later. You're, so, uh, uh, Lee, you're, man, you're, uh, you're kind of, you're kind of rant after that Kansas game is just, I mean, just 
just gets just gets better and better. I mean, it's just it, it's it aged holds very up. well. It's aged it's extremely aged well. well. Yeah, yeah. Like yeah, you were very Roger. you were you were very much on in, on in, like of the of the opinion that something is wrong because of this. And hey, at the time, man, I I tell us like nah nah you're 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 whatever you're you're overreacting. Well, you but just you wanted to move on. You, you never wanted to talk about that game ever again. And I understand that, but you gotta you gotta learn from stuff. And you can't just forget things sometimes. You got to remember stuff so you can learn from it. And well, I mean, of course, know. but in my <laughs> in my defense, they did play their best game of the season the next week. Yeah. Yeah, they did. They did. But <laughs> really the only time they played well the entire year. Isn't that kind of their bit, though, as well? I mean, because the reason why I was so forceful with it is because it's not like that was the first time they haven't shown up against Kansas. <laughs> That's not the. It happened before, so I, it, this was like a. I don't know if it was a trend, but I guess in a way you could have said it was a trend going against maybe lesser tier teams, or you know playing down to the competition, or not looking prepared from snap one, uh, which then we saw in a bigger game a couple of weeks later or whatever it was against Baylor, where my God, it looked like they hadn't ever played the game of football before on their first series of the game. Like, it was their first time. They just rolled the ball out there, and they were like, all right, guys, go play. And it was the first time any of them have ever stepped foot you know, on the football field. Uh, okay. Gosh, like, uh, anything they, else on the offense? Did they ever think oh. about, like, scripting plays? Did they do it? I mean, <laughs> I just... Isn't the point of scripting you know, plays so you come out with confidence and you know exactly what you're going to run so you can execute? You know what? I, I want to say that one of the Gabe and Teddy podcasts before the bowl game kind of hit on this. Cause I remember I, I pulled some of the sound for one of my newscasts kind of leading up to that the week of the bowl game or before the bowl game. And it was Gabe and Teddy, one of them, probably Gabe since he's on the offensive side of the ball. And they were talking about how different it was with Lincoln Riley gone. And offensively, I could have swore he said something like they had, they, they actually scripted some plays and, for the first time in a while, like the coaching staff and the players were on the same page and the players weren't entering every single game, like guessing or like not really. I, I could have swore Gabe had a, a thing on one of his podcasts there. And I remember kind of thinking, that seems really interesting. Yeah, now that you <laughs> mentioned that, I do remember that. Good. Good God. See, this is why like it's. It's such a weird thing, and, and I know, like, it's that's just the reality. We're we're gonna be going back to the Lincoln Riley stuff uh, until we kick off, until we have something else to talk about. But it's just like it's it, it's just a sign of the times, man. It's just it's <laughs> I I don't know what to trust anymore coming out of the program because of the way that Lincoln Riley ran it. It's like I'm a lover scorned, and like I'm it's like it's like it's like PTSD. Whereas, like, there were plenty, like, right? There were plenty, plenty of evidence over the last five years that there was something amiss, a little bit something amiss, if you wanted to pay attention to it. But I came here on this podcast after virtually every single game in the off season, and would just make excuses for it or use motivated reasoning in my head to fill in the gaps there of why this logically makes sense. And realizing that kind of at the end of it is just is making me just like ah, like, I don't know man like I've like I go into the spring and there's a part of me that's just like that feels kind of like this this completely unique feeling of excitement knowing that 
I have absolutely no idea what to expect this upcoming season. Like at all. And there's part of it that's a little that's that's a little off-putting, that's a little that I don't love. But part of it's really great. Part of me like thinks back to man, there's a lot of stuff. There's a lot of really annoying stuff about the Lincoln Riley era. And it's 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 going to be weird cuz hey man, I mean I came on this by <laughs> The last five years I've come on this podcast and essentially talked about how he's the greatest thing since sliced bread. Um, it's weird, man. I don't, it's a lot of, you know. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's weird. It's weird. Uh, and, and he is. The thing is, don't get, don't get us wrong. Lincoln Riley is a fantastic coach. He's a great coach. He's an awesome coach. Uh, but like every coach he had and has his limitations. What if he's not, though? And, I mean, well, I mean, we'll, we'll learn a heck of a lot more. Uh, let's see. He's been a head coach now for five years. This is going to be year six. Uh, five years from now, at a, at a different institution, we're going to have a lot more information on the guy. There are That's, two people. There are two coaches that I can think of that at their very first coaching stop were supernova superstars and then kind of fell off of a cliff and never got back to that point. One is absolutely, the other is kind of on his way back already. First person I'm thinking of is Rich Rodriguez. Um, at uh, He was at West Virginia, right? He West was at West Virginia. Virginia. Yeah. Um, he was great at West Virginia. Was great there. 10, 11 wins every single year. Uh, Pat White, Steve Slayton. And then he goes to Michigan, and he was awful, and it basically, it basically tanked his entire coaching career. Um, the other person I'm thinking of is Chip Kelly. Uh, was... His honestly, I I feel like Chip Kelly's first run at Oregon actually really really similar to Lincoln Riley's run at Oklahoma. Um, and you know Chip Kelly had a different path. He went to the NFL and failed there, um, and then has has really kind of gone through some growing pains at UCLA when they were a lot better this past season. But uh, I don't I don't know if it's unprecedented. Like it's I it's it's more likely that yeah he is a good coach and he's going to find plenty of success, but. It's very fun for this guy to think about what if he's not, though, and what if he fails and crashes and burns spectacularly, and we can all point and laugh and be extremely entertained by it. Doesn't that sound like fun? So, so yeah, so really interesting observation. Uh, really interesting. And so, yeah, I'll just, I got the uh, Rich Rod is one of the guys I, I figured you were going to bring up, and I should have thought about Chip Kelly, too. So, yeah, you're, so I'm looking at him at West Virginia, and so uh, his first year there, uh, not good they were three and eight but then he was there one two three four five six more years so he was at West Virginia for seven seasons his first year was bad okay whatever fine like it's his first year but the next six years they were nine and four eight and five eight and four eleven and one eleven and two ten and two so I mean great I mean really good I mean averaged probably average I mean that probably averages out to about nine and a half close to ten wins per season uh the last six years and then like you said goes to michigan three and nine five and seven seven and six gets fired and then chip kelly oregon for four seasons and you said that it's pretty similar to lincoln riley you know first year 10 and 3 12 and 1 12 and 2 12 and 1 and then to the nfl as you said and so it's almost like man how I wonder if Lincoln Riley, I, I don't, I wonder if he, he thought about Chip Kelly much. And, and like, this guy had a great, like I said, like, did, 
Has Lincoln Riley really con- seriously considered the NFL? I- I'm, I'm sh- I don't know. I mean, so point being, though, is like, I wonder if he thought, eh, if I go to the NFL too early, you know, like, what if I end up like Chip Kelly? And, uh, but to be fair, Chip Kelly, I think's first year with the Eagles, I think they were like 10 and six. I think they yeah, were they're pretty good games. his first year. Yeah. And they had Mike and Vick. Then, I think, uh, was it Mike? Yeah, Mike Vick. And then I think the next year they were, they were kind of like around 500 or seven. I think he only made it two years. I think he got fired after the, a bad like second season so they, they should have probably given him more rope but maybe his system was so dead they're like yeah this is not. no gonna work. i think uh, it was I, I think there was there were other issues with with people around the nfl just hating his guts too uh, okay and nobody liked him so so yeah anyways just i wonder if lincoln riley had any thoughts about chip kelly's tough time in the nfl and so in his mind like if i'm gonna go to a different team it's going to be college because i still have a, a really good ch- you know, chance of winning more in college compared to the nfl this could be totally off base i don't know but like you're right like lincoln riley could be a mixture maybe of both or he could be nothing like chip kelly and rich rodriguez and he still could win a lot of games at usc and potentially make usc really really good i mean but the thing about lincoln riley now that usc will have to contend with moving forward is if if he is really good which there's a, there's a good chance he will be good, given the conference, uh, given his recruiting ability. Uh, I don't know how Alex Grinch's defense is going to hold up for years and people learning that defense and understanding that not a lot of changes happen and they're going to figure out that defense and how to move the ball against it. Well, you better uh, have at least three guys who can play very good man coverage and a few uh, few NFL pass rushers. That's really your only hope. Well, there there may be some of those guys in the, the Southern California area, though, that otherwise he wasn't getting before. Uh, but uh, where was I getting at, though? Oh, USC fans will have to deal with in administration. If he is a really good coach, what's in his heart? Is is he going to bolt? <laughs> like, Is he going to be a guy that wants to stay there, or is he going to try to go somewhere else? And I can't imagine, granted, with Lincoln Riley now, everything is on the table now after what he did because nobody ever thought if he left, he'd go to a college. But, oh, yeah, he'd just go to NFL. But, heck, I mean, who knows? If he did leave USC, maybe he would go to a different college instead of the NFL. I don't know. You don't know. Only he knows <laughs> at this point. But uh, you're right. Like, once we get to the season, uh, you know, we'll kind of put that behind us a little bit. But, yeah, we'll have another – we'll have, like – our eye half on USC because that, that'll be fun to watch how they how they look what they well yeah by the, be, by the season I'll it's going to be a lot more USC substantive. games I'll tell you that I'll definitely be watching USC games back to see what they look like see what the offense looks like uh, and you know what they're probably going to look good for a decent amount of time a lot of the time because they're going to be excited those players are going to be pumped uh, and they're probably going to I don't know I mean maybe they're going to make adjustments and they're going to change things and we're going to get super frustrated because we're going to say where was that in Norman. Where was that? Or maybe they won't. I think the chances of I think the chances of of Caleb Williams making Lincoln Riley look great in in, in his two years at USC are are probably really high. Oh yeah, yeah, he's a really good player. Uh, What last thing? Just thought of it though. A lot of people like to bring up you know sour grapes, but they'll hey you know like Caleb Williams, uh, you just drop eight. You know you can't. What's he going to do when teams drop eight against them? Iowa State did that. Baylor did that. Oklahoma State did that. Uh, I'm not sure if it's that simple. Honestly, I I didn't go back and really break down the tape (laughs) of those games because a lot of those games were just so like blah. I just like I just want to move on from. 
But if it is that simple, or there's 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 some kernel of truth, what if you know the whole thing about how oh now there's tape on a guy? Like, what if there's a thing of Caleb Williams? Like, hey, now there's tape on a guy. Like the Pac-12 defensive coordinators. If it, if there is like some keys that are almost that simple, what if there is kind of like some antidote to him that over an off season, some defensive coordinators. Not all, not all of them are going to be able to. And even if they were, some of them aren't going to – it's not going to matter because they want the talent on the defensive side anyways to make it matter. But, hey, you know, what if there is some truth to that? Like, what if some defensive coordinators kind of find something that, you know, for two, three, four games a year, he's not not the guy that we, we know he can be? Eh, I don't know. We'll find out. Yeah. All right, let's talk some defense. And to turn our attention to that side of the football, let's hear from Danny Stutzman. And I can't remember if this is a soundbite where you hear me ask a question or not. So let's find out. Do you think that if, if the entire team embraces that, like, you know, practice is the most important thing and that if we could put it every, you know, everything in a practice, that it's just going to take care of itself on Saturday? Do you think that's – because it seems like that's what Coach Venables is saying is, is kind of how you guys get to where you guys are wanting to go. Uh, do you think if everyone buys into that, that is kind of the recipe to success here? Absolutely. I, I think that's what he's building. The culture right now is what he's building. He's – try and reach for the best. I mean, even if you don't, he said failure is part of success. So we're going to fail, but we're going to keep striving to be best. And then you know, eventually we'll be where we want to be. And just kind of just keep your head down one step at a time. First time we've heard from Danny Stutzman. Uh, that reminds me of something I think you said on this podcast multiple times, but somewhat recently that, you know, this is the time of year, right? During the off season, spring ball, this is where you win championships. And that's something that we've kind of heard versions of from Brent Venable since he was hired here. And I know every coach has got to have kind of versions of this, but like you made a really good point, I think, last episode where talking about last season and how everything was kind of off, even though they're winning games, they didn't play very well. But you, you made the point that you know, Lincoln Riley would always kind of reference, you know, hey, winning is hard. You know, we won. Look at the scoreboard. And that's not the overarching way that you should look at a program, right? You, you got to look at the process, the day in and day out. Practice is where you win and that everything will take care of itself on Saturdays. And so it would seem that that has been the message so far by Brent Venables and the rest of his staff. And that's kind of what I was trying to get at with Danny Stutzman there. Yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, it, it, it's a cliche at this point in time. I mean, Oh, I think total the, cliche. The most... Um, you know, the most successful people in the world know that in order to be successful, it's it, it's all about what you do and no one's looking. It's all about the dirty work that you do that is not immediately gratifying. Um, and it's about and actually that's a really interesting you know thing that you said there about Venables maybe striving to make practice more enjoyable, more fun while also getting work in, uh, because knowing that that's like <laughs> that's where the championship is going to be won here in practice. You want guys to be excited for it. Um, you know, that's. Obviously, you want that. I, I I don't know how how realistic that is. To football practice is awful. I don't know how realistic it is to make it fun. <laughs> I know, but I don't know. Maybe if you're really good at football and at like a peak shape athlete, maybe it's not that bad. I don't know. Yeah, it's obviously going to be a lot more fun right now because everything is so new. Uh, you know, and and honestly, it's going to be really fun even in fall camp. I like, you know it's going to be a grind. Uh, you know, over the summer, conditioning is going to be real tough. They'll get through that. Fall camp will be a grind, but it's going to because everything is so new. And so I, I, I think the idea of them embracing practice is not going to be that big of a deal right now. They're, they're going to because everybody is so hungry and everything has been so positive that, hey, as far as these guys know, 
they're going to win the national championship this upcoming year <laughs> because everything has been so positive, and why not think that? Uh, the, the question is, like, over time when, when you know, more and more players go through the program and you get, to, you know, okay, a new season here, new spring practice, new fall practice, like, will these same players, will it become monotonous or they, will they continue to embrace the grind and then instill that in on the younger players and then that's how the culture ends up getting to where Brent Venables wants it to be. And that's something that we're not going to know for, for years uh, but I, I, you know, I think right now, again, it's not going to be hard for them to get really excited, even though practice is, is not very fun. But they're going to try to make it as fun as possible just because they're super excited. Uh, do you want to know about how the defensive install is going, Grant? No, not really. <laughs> All right, let's move on to the uh, <laughs> linebackers then. <laughs> All right, forget that. Uh, dealer's choice did not work there. Um, uh, actually, right, so, yes. I, I mean, it, oh, realistically, okay. yes. I, I, I would love to know exactly what is going on. I, I, you probably don't have as much information as I would like, but uh, let's hear what they got to say. Well, I, I asked one of the veteran players on the team now, which is so weird to consider him a veteran because it seems like he's only been here for five minutes, but it's way longer. Reggie Grimes, uh, going into his third year, I asked him where they are with the defensive install, and then uh, you're going to hear his answer, and then Brandon Drum asked a follow-up question about the playbook, and I, I found this to be relatively interesting uh, and you'll probably all understand why after listening to it. I would say we have a lot in, you know, and I, I wouldn't say we have, we're nowhere, anywhere close to the full thing, but we do have a lot in. So we're running through that and, again, just getting better every day. When I watch Clemson in the past and obviously Coach Venables and he was here, the, the defense, it, it seems like it might be kind of complicated. I know there's a lot of changes, week to week, things like that. So from your perspective, has it been a, been a complicated system to learn? I know they're trying to make it easy on you guys language-wise, but from what you've done in the past, like what, what do you think? I wouldn't say it was. I wouldn't say it's complicated. What I will say though is that you always need to be studying it because it is very, very tedious, and there are some parts that are repetitive. But it's something that you, you do need to study. You can't just walk away from it like on a weekend and expect to come back on a Monday and and, and be crisp. Is it is it is a deeper playbook than what you you've seen? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. There. There. We have. We have a lot of plays, but at the same time, it, it's knowing your responsibility, knowing what you're supposed to do, like if it's a run, if it's a pass, but if you get this kind of block, this kind of block, like, so it's really just knowing what you're supposed to do in that scheme, which is why you have to study it, because that could always change. All right, Grant, thoughts on Reggie Grimes' assessment of the defense? Uh, I just really like Reggie Grimes. Really like him. Really, really great uh, representative of, of the program. Um, but no, I mean, it's... I think it's interesting, like how he sort of um, how he breaks down why it's the difference between it being complicated and it being tedious. I think is kind of an. I, I sort of wish he would have gone more into that, because um, then, like I, I, I guess I'm at. I was like, what what would a complicated defense like? What would a complicated defense look like? Because like basically, what he's saying there at the end is it's just a lot of memorization. Is essentially what he's saying. Um, and my question would Which be: to me, to me, sounds complicated. That, that's how I would define complicated. Lots of things to remember, I guess. Complicated so, to me may- would be: you need to do something totally different in this situation, and you need to do totally something different in this yeah. situation. That's probably really similar to this situation in which you have to do something totally different. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. I, I think uh, you know maybe Brandon's follow-up about the playbook maybe that helped a little bit because uh, he added that he said, "Yeah, we got a lot of plays." And uh, I, I couldn't help but read into that as uh, maybe there wasn't very many plays the last couple of years, which would 
go with what we've heard about speed D. It's simple. It's, it's simple and easy. Just fly around, make plays. Uh, whereas here with the Brent Venables, Clemson, Oklahoma style defense, uh, there's play. There's actually going to be plays <laughs> or maybe more plays than there before. So maybe, you know, there's a lot more memorization there. Uh, but yeah, you make a good point, though, because, yeah, obviously there's a ton of different situations in football that they're going to have to uh, be prepared for and, and know, you know, when a, a call is made, you know, what to do. And, you know, they're just in the very early stages of it right now. And talking to Brent Venables, he, he was asked the same kind of question. And his answer was something like, you know, obviously when you start, you want to go as fast as possible and get it all in. And then you get on the field and you start doing it. And then for a myriad of reasons, you got to go a little bit slower than you wanted to just because that takes time to get things in. And so um, it's, you know, it, it's obviously they're going, it's, it's going in as, as quickly as they can. But I'm sure if it was up to Brent Venables and, and Todd Bates and the, and the rest of that defense, I'm sure they'd, they'd be a lot they'd want to be a lot further ahead than they are now, but it's just, it's impossible to be, especially considering that this defense is not, it's not going to be Alex Grinch's super simple speed D where it's just designed to come in and, and plug and play. And here's what you do. And honestly, like when you watched Oklahoma's defense the last few years on the field, it looked really simple. It looked very much get in there and plug and play and not a whole lot of differences depending on uh, what the defense or what the offense is showing you. Uh, you know, we're not going to get that with Brent Venables which is exciting. So, I mean, we got, it's three weeks from Saturday is the spring game, and it's going to be really interesting to see what, you know, what the defense looks like during the spring game, uh, during the spring game. And I'm mostly just, I'm, I'm mostly going to be paying attention to flow. How do they get their calls in? Are they, are there a ton of penalties? Like, you know, I mean, it's, it's going to be interesting to see. Like, gosh, what's their, God, what's their base formation going to be? I don't know. I don't think anyone knows. Yeah, and I don't even know what the spring game setup's going to be yet. Uh, neither does Venables. He doesn't really know how they're going to do it yet. Uh, I guess we'll see when it gets here. Something that stood out to me when, when Venables talked yesterday, uh, you know, linebacker depth. He talked about how the linebacker depth is not very good. And I, I just I want to think that he, he just totally kind of spaced on Deshaun White. Uh, when I play this next clip, because obviously Deshaun White's a returning starter and he's started many years. So he, he's a veteran player in that room. Uh, but when you hear this clip from uh, Brent Venables, it would almost seem like he, he's just like making a like he's just totally forget. Like he's not he's not including Deshaun White when he's talking about kind of the, the rest of the linebacking core at linebacker. Uh, don't have great depth there. Um, I just want to make sure I got this down here. We have 12 returning starts at linebacker. Uh, so not much experience there, um, but it's a group that's really hungry. Um, we've got we've got good enough players there to play at a really high level. We just got to get them in the right spots. They're on the bus right now. We got to get them in the in the right seats, and uh, and and see who can separate. And so, in defense of Brent Venables as well, the initial question it was asked about the linebacking group, but also specifically, uh, I think it was Ryan Aber that asked the question. He wanted to know about the young linebackers, kind of some of the freshmen and stuff. So, you know, maybe in his head he was, he was kind of thinking in terms of, like, the youngest guys on the team. We only have 12 starts because obviously there's more than 12. With Desha I mean, Deshaun White started more than 12 games in his career, I think. <laughs> he started – Makes me wonder because, like, it sounds like he had to he, – he, he referenced the sheet of paper or something like that before he said that. Makes me wonder if he, he accidentally read the defensive line because Jalen Redmond's oh, the maybe. only returning starter, and it, I think he started about 12 games in his career. 
Yeah, that's possible. That's a good. I mean, I'm just I'm just trying to think theory. of why he would say it. Because yeah, like yeah, Deshaun he White, I mean, he had notes and stuff. So Deshaun White I mean, started it twenty plus games. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. The, it doesn't the, matter. I'm the just, most important thing yeah. he said there is that he doesn't think they have a lot of depth. And I think if you if you pulled kind of the average OU fan, they would say linebackers one of the deepest rooms that they have. Right. Not necessarily in terms of like God, they got so many guys who are gonna get drafted in there. But they got like they got four or five guys in there who at this point in time, kind of play to the same quality. Yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking. Because, yeah, I mean, Deshaun White, obviously, you got there. David Ogwebu, who we have said multiple times in the offseason, kind of disappeared last year. Uh, Shane Witter, uh, Danny Stutzman. Who am I T.D. Missing? Roof. Oh, well, yeah, T.D. Roof. T.D. Roof, who's yeah. a, you know, that's I mean... A transfer, I, actually, yeah, he's played a lot I, of games. I randomly, I, I randomly watched some... <laughs> Some Appalachian State last night watched their game against um, uh, against Coastal Carolina from last season. Not 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 a huge fan of uh, of, of our defensive coordinator's son uh, on the field. Not not a huge fan of him. Um, Is that right? Yeah, I, you know I'm I, obviously I'm fully open to be proven wrong. He's a guy who comes with with numbers. He had ten, he had ten TFLs last year on a on a good defense, um, but. Yeah, man, he is he is tiny. He is small. He's kind of like he's kind of in the vein of Curtis Bolton, just nowhere near as good. He didn't look that small to me on the field. Maybe he's bolted up. Like, he looked he really look small on the uh, on the TV broadcast against uh, Coastal Carolina. Huh? I wonder if he's wonder if he's bolted up in the offseason. Well, we'll we'll see how much he ends up playing. I don't know. Um, but yeah, you're like right. Experience like, is good. Like I, like don't get me wrong. I'd much rather have TD Roof running out there than than Brian Mead. And no offense to Brian Mead, but, but you know, <laughs> point stands. Uh, all right, so let's move on from the linebackers. It's just, I mean, something to watch out for. I mean, it's interesting that you know, as far as Brent Venables goes, and and I'm and Ted Roof, I would assume uh, linebacker depth is not great. And I mean, Brent Venables would know. <laughs> so uh, we'll, and like we'll yeah, I mean, it. if you take it. Because right, like I mean, Deshaun White was was average at best last season. David Agwebu just fell off of a cliff. All right, nobody just disappeared. Um, you know, Witter and, and Stutzman had their moments, but but couldn't get on the field as consistently as those first two guys I mentioned. So yeah, I mean, it's but also like they have plenty of bodies there, and there's just not a lot of variance in quality. I don't think yet. Yeah, I mean, we'll see how these new players fit in. I mean, is it a thing where everybody's on the same playing field right now? Granted, there's some guys that have actually played college football games, but when it comes to knowing and learning the system, everybody is brand new. Does that provide an opening for, for true freshmen to play? I mean, can Jaron Kanick play? Uh, Kip Lewis, Kobe McKenzie, these guys from this true freshman class that are, that are early enrollees, to their credit, they're on campus already going through spring. I don't know. I mean, that's we'll see. Uh, definitely interesting. So how about the secondary and specifically Billy Bowman? And he's a player that we were super excited about going into 2021. I mean, he was starting. He was the starting nickel, true freshman. And then, geez, what happened? I guess he, he kind of got banged up, right? He got banged and then, up. And then when he, he got healthy again, they basically moved him to corner. Because remember, Broyles came in and was – and was merely just not a liability when he was starting. Right, right. And, and so um, instead of, and then so yeah. and they were having just 
absolute issues at corner after Woody got hurt and they moved Billy there. And it, just, it just didn't go well. He just wasn't comfortable there. Yeah, and so he got moved around a bunch and ended up being an absolute non-factor by the end of the season. And he's a guy that was a, a starting player in week one. And so, and honestly, uh, he looked like he should have been. <laughs> like it was, he, yeah, it, it he looked like, like he a different place. level of athlete than guys they had had at that position. Yeah, I, I agree. And uh, so, so now he's entering his second season with the program, brand new coaching staff, brand new, um, obviously, position coach. And so uh, I found this interesting. So I, Brent Venables has asked about him. And so here's Brent Venables' assessment of Billy Bowman. He can do a lot of things, and we're just trying to get him to be really good at one thing. And sometimes when you do too much too soon, you know, everything's neutralized, all your ability, your instincts, your intelligence. And most of the time, that's that way for freshmen. you got to be that dude, uh, like a generational kind of a person um, to uh, at any position to, uh, you know, pick up it, pick up everything right away. I think he was for injury and things of that nature. He's had to, he had to be forced in action at different spots. And uh, so we're really trying to have him focus uh, at safety and uh, put him in position there where uh, he can play in space and use his ability, uh, cover a lot of uh, grass and uh, play his man technique, all those types of things. And he's really, uh, he's had a really good uh, start. Uh, so the main thing, and talking to Billy Bowman yesterday, uh, being told, hey, we are wanting you to focus on safety. That is your spot. Learn it. Play it well. Master the craft. Craft. Uh, his confidence is way up. Sounds like the head coach likes what he sees so far. Uh, it, it's, it's sad that he was jumped and bumped around so much a season ago that you heard what Preventable said. He said, you know, sometimes when that happens, it, it kind of it affects everything with a player, with a young player. It affects their psyche. Their confidence goes down when they're, you know, they're, they're asked to do one thing. And, and I kind of I, I was trying to get at it a couple of questions. I was I, I, I didn't grab it because I, I'm a moron and uh, I sound like an idiot. But I was trying to get to the point when I was questioning him yesterday and didn't do a very good job of it. You know, sometimes I, I don't think through my questions very well, but I, I wanted to get to the point of him like, hey, man, like, what coach said there about how like yeah being bumped around so much moved around so much you know how did that make you feel and he had already kind of answered versions of that but you know basically finally he got to the point where he said listen like yeah like switching positions so much a year ago was was tough because he would lose out on opportunities at other spots that he was playing before when he kind of got to the point where he was feeling comfortable there and then you get moved somewhere else and that's it. I appreciate it because he kind of knew what I was trying to get at, even though I, I was stumbling around a dumb question. Didn't I have a but, rant but, on this podcast about that exact thing in the season when that was happening? Well, when I was really frustrated. I, I mean, did you? I, I think so. And it was it was all about that. Whereas he gets hurt, which is not his fault. He earns a starting job. And then they because they feel like they need to help the team, they move him somewhere else and kind of undermine his development. And they okay, just yeah. the, the coaching staff screwed him over completely. They absolutely mismanaged him, and it was just like it. It upset me because like I I like Billy Bowman. I really like him. I I think he's going to be a great player for OU. And I just like I didn't want like a kid, like eighteen year old kid, feeling jerked around like that. That sucks. Like I didn't. I, so, it bothered me. I hated it. Yeah, and so like, I'm gonna take the unpopular position here. I'll I will somewhat defend Alex Grinch and and the the previous regime this way. I believe, and I believe I talked about it on the podcast at the time, probably. The way I kind of looked at that was that 
they could have thought, we think so much of Billy Bowman. We think he's such a talent that, yes, he was, he was good at, say, uh, at nickel. He was doing good things, and he got hurt. Uh, but we think he's so talented that we believe we can move him and plug a hole that we're struggling at corner. We think he's that good. And they did it, and they were wrong. He, he wasn't good. And then he, his confidence tanked even more. And from there, it was kind of like they didn't even try to move him back to nickel. They didn't even say, okay, let's, let's put him back where he was more comfortable and having success. They just kind of, he was done. Like, he didn't really play anymore. Can I, can I, like, they moved Billy Bowman to corner before they moved Key there. Like, and that Key had actually played corner in college. That's a thing yeah. that happened. Like, it was, uh, is it, that. See, but Key, but, but that was because, because they had Key, though, playing for DTY, because DTY was out. So they had Key uh, playing strong safety. They couldn't have moved Key there. I think, I think that's the big, that was the reason, because there was an injury in another spot. So I guess now, in, Total hindsight, because they got Billy Bowman playing safety here. Maybe the play would have been, you know, let's when Bowman's healthy, let's put him back at safety, try to play him at strong, and then move Key over to corner. But I mean, like, again, the only I don't know. I, I mean, I don't know. I don't know if there's any indication at all that the prior staff wanted Billy Bowman to play safety. I don't think there's well, any indication not. of that at all. I think very, very late in the year. I think whenever he, in garbage time and stuff, I think Bowman was actually back at safety. Like he wasn't playing nickel anymore. Like it did in, in times where it didn't matter. I, I want to say, like, because after the corner experiment didn't work, I, I want to say maybe it's Oklahoma State or uh, I. But then again, that game, that, that whole game matter, mattered, though. So that doesn't make sense. Maybe I, I don't know. Maybe I'm making that up. But I don't know. My my uh, biggest takeaway from mess. this entire and really this is one of my biggest takeaways from the spring so far is because we've we've learned some really interesting nuggets that I no, this inf- like we just it's new. We never would have known this information with the other guys. Lee, I think this new defensive coaching staff wants their starting safeties to be Billy Bowman and Key Lawrence. And that makes me giddy. Because that's, like, when I watch them play, that's how I envision it. Like, I feel like those are your two best safeties on the roster. Um, I'm excited about that. I'm really excited about that. Yeah, Because I think I, those guys are elite athletes, and you're going to have them in the middle of the field on the back end. It's a really big deal. Let's see. There, I feel like there's another player, though, aside from Key, that that they might want to take a look at back there. Probably Trey Morrison is my guess. Trey Morrison's going to be the nickel. That's a little nickel, though, man. 5'9". Wasn't he a corner most? We've never seen that before. Yeah. That's, uh, I don't know. I mean, but, uh, okay, no, I, th- I think you're right. I think you're right. Yeah, may- maybe it is, uh, you know, I mean Bowen. They, uh, Bowman. They definitely want Bowman to be a starter. They, they want him. I mean, that's. I mean, that's just. I'm reading, reading the tea leaves here. Uh, I mean, his pedigree coming in. I mean, he was a starter at the start of last year. <laughs> Started starting. <laughs> uh, so yeah, hopefully his confidence can uh, be ratcheted up and he can turn into what we hoped he he was going to be last season. Uh, but I guess yeah, I, I'm just more. I, I'm focused on. Man, if if they can get Graham, Woody, Key, and Bowman on the field at the same time, I, I think that's I think that's OU's most talented secondary in a long time. Like a long, long time. Yeah. Yeah, it's kinda of, kinda of bizarre thinking about that, right? I mean, this is gonna be the first Oh whoop. hold on. Sorry, I'm not sure if you could hear that on the podcast. I pushed the wrong button. All right, anyway, so this will be the first time since since really like twenty seventeen. 
that we're not going to see any of Pat Fields or any of Delarian Turner yell. I mean, that's it's been a long time since since one of those guys was not involved in the back end. And those players played a lot of snaps. And don't get me wrong, we all love those guys. They're great ambassadors of the program, great ambassadors of OU football. Uh, but I mean, talent wise, they're both limited. I mean, they're I think they're both three star players, and they got better over time. But now you got these players coming in that the four that you just mentioned, uh, would you say Graham, Woody, Key, and uh, Billy Bowman? I mean, they're all at least four-star players. And wasn't one of them? Wasn't Bowman kind of maybe a hybrid, maybe a five-star at some point, or uh, maybe I'm making that up? But uh, I don't know about that. But he, I mean, he was a very high four-star. So yeah, I mean that's that's four four-star players if those are the four you know main guys they have in there and then we'll see who they you know they have at nickel and we'll see how that plays out but uh, i mean uh, four four-star guys three of you know three of which were top 100 guys in college yeah so that is exciting especially playing <laughs> under a defensive coordinator in a defense that historically has gotten the best out of guys or maybe not the best but like the, the, their batting average is going to be a lot higher than it has been in the past in the previous regimes and they're, from our perspective, we're probably going to be more confident that these guys, that this, these coaches can get these players in better positions to succeed than the previous coaching staff. Uh, I got one more piece of sound to play. And let's go back to Miguel Chavis. Uh, I shouldn't say go back to him. I, we played him, I think, a couple weeks ago. Uh, but uh, just kind of a, 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 there we go. Let's go back to Jonah Laulu, who we talked about. Jeez, I mean, it was an hour ago we talked about him. Uh, and um, Miguel Chavis was talking about him and, and how he got to OU, and you know I kind of was saying, ah, you know, I thought he'd be bigger. Well, who cares what I say? Listen to the guy that helped bring him to Oklahoma. He's been a blessing, man. He's a big guy that can really move. You know, I think some people were surprised that, um, that you know, he's an end. He's two seventy, man. He's two sixty eight. Yeah, watch him run, watch him move. He's a big dancing bear out there. And he's smooth. When I watched the tape and uh, recruited him and evaled him when he was at Hawaii, and we love his mom, Miss Palolo, and uh, his girlfriend, Catherine. But when I watched him, I was like, this guy's unbelievable. I knew that he could move. I didn't know how big he was because of how fluid his hips are, uh, the plays he made. I mean, he's played four years of football. And he still has two, two, two left. So, and but he's he's fitting perfectly. He's he's exactly where he's supposed to be. If Miguel Chavis's coaching abilities is as good as his personality, this dude's going to be an absolute stud star. Like he, I really like him. Yeah, that's that's <laughs> kind of it's mostly like I mean I don't it's it's all the only thing I've gotten of him is just his his press you know hits like this, but I mean he's showing you right there why he's such a good recruiter or why he's he's proven at this point that where he's he's kind of made some some impact on the road dude is dropping jonah laulu's mom's name and his girlfriend's name just out of his back pocket like it's nothing like that's that's very endearing very oh, yeah no and i i, I cracked up at the press because I, I mean i was there for this and when he said hey just look at a move he's a big dancing bear out there <laughs> like what like he's a big dancing bear uh like, what, who says that so I, yeah he uh so he also yeah, had I, a. Uh, did you see the? Uh, I think it was a video that the OU football Twitter account put out, or their social media account put out. Whereas, like, it was it was a thing of him at practice with all of his players around him. He's talking about how he doesn't want anyone to play for him who is not violent. 
Oh yeah. And I'm just like, see, I love that stuff. I mean, you gotta like, it's. Uh, like, I think course. it's kind of problematic, though. It's that's kind of problematic given given our our current culture, right? Uh, I'm joking. Ah, are we gonna get into that? All right, let's go. It's that kind <laughs> of podcast now. Cam- open a whole can hey, of worms. Hey, cheese. We yeah. still got we still got at least it's got at least another hour we got to do on the Will Smith thing. So <laughs> everyone just like everyone, I don't know, brew some coffee or. Getting some comfy clothes, some sweats, and a sweatshirt, <laughs> a blanket, put the fire on. Just wait. Just That's wait until fun. we get into Ukraine and Russia. You guys just no, you have no idea <laughs> oh, how God. good this is going to get. Okay. <laughs> uh, some of the Supreme Court hearings. Yeah, I mean, we're going to really hit on all the current topics of the day. Um, <laughs> you, uh, yeah, okay, we got to stop this. Um, I, I will say I, this, is, this is dumb. I, I, I guess I kind of stumped Miguel Chavis at the press conference because I I asked him if there's anybody that you know it, it, once practice has started now that he's seeing players on the field and pads and stuff if you know compared to the you know the, the past eight weeks of off-season workouts if, if there's anybody that you know now that he sees them on the practice field has he changed you know his opinion on them have they have they kind of done something that's made him change his opinion and he <laughs> he has this thing where he'll He's such a nice guy. He'll he'll no matter what you ask him, he's he'll oh, that that's a really good question. That's a great question. And he said that to me probably about five times on that one because I think he didn't know what to say because he didn't. I mean, he he didn't really have an answer. He he said, "Listen, uh, I tried." That is a really all- interesting question. I think it's he was probably stumped by it. Oh, because, he was. Yeah, he. Yeah, um, no, because I was trying just, to get some that information is a from super his super. That's tough because yeah, you like I think immediately you're just like. You're looking for someone, right? Who is? You're looking for someone who you weren't impressed with at first, but now you are. Yeah, yeah. You don't want to throw anyone under the bus, so right. he's probably. No, I, I know. He's I know. probably that, filibustering that was, a little bit. That's what I was trying to do, and and he knew that, and he, but he he ended up saying, you know, when I got here, and honestly, I got flashbacks to. This isn't going to sound great, but I got flashbacks to when Alex Grinch was hired. He said that when I got here, I honestly didn't, I didn't go back and really watch. And I, I didn't want to have any preconceived notions of these guys. Like, I wanted to have these guys uh, you know, fresh slate. You know, like, so he didn't really want to – I, I want to say he didn't go back and watch a bunch of tape on him. And so that was kind of his thing. It's like he – Maybe it's – Fresh slate. He's not really forming his opinions and stuff now. But, you know, it was a good question. So uh, I, I'm glad I kind of oh, got I'm him so on his glad, toes there. Ooh, I'm glad you brought that up because we have – you know, we have – we have confirmation from Brent Venables himself. He absolutely has watched stuff from last season because he had a very informed take on Billy Bowman. Um, I don't really have anything interesting to say there other than I don't know if there's anything I would rather do. In my, I mean, this sounds so fun. Can you think of anything that'd be more fun than rewatching the 2021 season with Brent Venables? <laughs> from... <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, that would be... That would be a blast. That would be like, one of the actually most like, fun things. Like actually in the film room with everyone, just off the cuff, like what he's seen it for the very first time. God, yeah. that would be gold. Uh, yeah, I would. I'm not sure what I would pay to do that, but I, I would think about because no one, no one will ever see it except for select, select few. Man, yeah, I, I am curious how how he went back and watched uh, the. the the previous season um yeah yeah all right well that's all i have really until uh wow yeah uh I, we, we do have some facebook comments 
to get to and and justin came through justin is a is a loyal listener and we appreciate his feedback and and he's got a lot of stuff for us to chew on here from the facebook page and we'll start with this so appreciate justin thanks for the the comments thanks for the questions and also thanks for being a, a longtime listener justin says it sounds like venables has a policy that once you verbally commit to oklahoma you aren't allowed to take any visits to other schools this seems to be different than how things were under Riley, and I'm curious if you think that will hurt recruiting or stall momentum. The unofficial 40 podcast talked about this recently, and so I remember, you know, Venables was asked. Uh, Bob from Sooner Scoop asked about this last week in the the opening press conference, uh, and and Venables went into Bob's love life and asking about his wife, and it was the whole thing that the beat we kind of laughed about. Um, I'll, I'll be honest. I, I don't have a whole lot of thoughts on this. I, I, I'm not not a big recruiting guy. If I, I did get from his answer from you know Venables' long answer that basically he he doesn't want you to commit to Oklahoma unless you for sure are coming to Oklahoma. Like you better be darn sure. And that's fine with me. Nothing wrong with that. Okay. Like I, I maybe that's different than how every coach or most coaches do it. I guess so. Maybe you would have more thoughts on this than me. I, I I don't know. I mean, I don't just again don't know much about it. I I'm gonna go ahead and guess it's not gonna really hurt recruiting. I, I think Brent Venables is a really good recruiter, and so is Todd Bates. So I'm assuming Miguel Chavis. Like these guys can recruit. So something like this doesn't. I think it's a it's a good topic for you know for Sooner Scoop for the unofficial forty for because you know they they do a lot more recruiting obviously than we do. That's that's their business. I think it's great for them, uh, but for us, for me, I, I don't see this being being an issue. Do you? Well, see, I think I mean I think this goes this goes deeper into just nuts and bolts recruiting. I mean, what this is is it's a it's a declaration of values, is what it is. Um, and I think I think we can all agree, in an uber realistic perspective or point of view, these are the correct values. I mean, you you once you commit to something as a human being, you should do it obviously and that's like that was the joke that he made with 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 bob p about that you know johnny gigolo i think is is what it was um which is only funny that's that's fun. that's such a super niche thing that's only funny if you're an ou fan and you know who bob prisbillo is like it's <laughs> it's that's it's such a niche joke but it, it's that's why it was perfect just for the fan base but um no i mean i think it's interesting this is one of those things where i'm just like i don't know let's see what happens because Early returns on the recruiting trail so far with this guy and the staff are really, really good, um, and they were able to kind of, you know, put, you know, put this class together at the last. And I know a lot of people stayed, but they were to bring, they were able to bring in some new guys as well. You know, ended up with a recruiting class that, you know, was was pretty typical under Lincoln Riley, and that was just with with a few weeks to work. So, um, it's one of those things where if it starts to become a problem, then you know I think they can deal with it, and they'll probably realize it, and they'll and they'll 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 change it up. This is the exact same policy that Clemson has had ever since Dabo has been there. Really, um, the one thing that that I'm you know that I'm a little weary of is only just you can only copy Clemson so much. I feel like, um, but I you know in terms of values, in terms of principle, this is right. This is correct. The whole. Um, but there is an aspect of it, though. Is there an a- where you question, all right, but is he kind of dealing in reality, though? Whereas, like, that's all fine and good. That's great. But 
if you start to lose a bunch of recruits you otherwise would get because of this, then are you going to change your tune? You know, someone who's a principled person would say, no, I'm not going to change my tune. So I, I think that's what you have to, you know, that's what you need to look out for. I think it's one of those things that if it, if it works out and is not a negative, it, you could obviously pay a lot of dividends because that's the type of thing that that wins people over. It really does. You know, I, there's, there's nothing more powerful really in life and this can be a good thing or a bad thing. But one of the most powerful things in life is loyalty to other human beings. Like this is, I mean, this, people have started wars over this. People's lives have been ruined because of loyalty. I mean, this it's it's a very powerful, it's a very very powerful force. So, um, it's interesting. I, I I think there are some there have been some really thoughtful people who have said, yeah, I mean, I, I can I can really envision this being a problem, and they paint a picture to where it's it's persuasive to where it could be. Um, this is one of those areas, right, where it's just like you know his Brent Venables has earned the right to do this exactly how he wants to. Yeah, good stuff. Uh, all right, more from Justin. He says, speaking of the defense, he says, consider, well, you mentioned Venables. Speaking of Venables and the defense, says, considering the turnaround that Alex Grinch got with this Oklahoma defense in his first season uh, with less talent to start with and probably a weaker coaching staff compared to what Oklahoma has coaching defense now, is it realistic to believe this defense could take a pretty big leap and be the best defense we've seen for Oklahoma in at least seven or eight years, if not longer, in year one? That's a great question. Uh, because I think it's, it's uh, not controversial at all just to say uh, Oklahoma's defense in 2022 should be better than it was in 2021. It's not a very high bar. Uh, 2021 defense wasn't very good, with the exception but, of like four or five games. Yeah, but, you know, I mean, I could easily make the argument, though. I mean, you, you're replacing... Essentially, all of your best players, though, you know, from that defense. But I mean, you could you could also mention that I mean, there was just there was I mean, there was so much rotation, so many guys got experience. You know, the I I think I, I think the defensive talent on the team right now is arguably greater than offensive talent in terms of pure athleticism, ceiling, ability. Um, no, I mean, I guess to answer his question, I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility at all. I, do I think it's likely? Probably not. But like, is it, would it would it shock me if they have a top twenty defense next year? No, it wouldn't. I'd be really, really pleasantly surprised. So he says the next, uh, you know, the best defense in the last seven or eight years. So that would mean that it's better than what the the twenty fifteen defense, right? Because that was twenty fifteen defense is is the yeah twenty thirteen and twenty fifteen were were the best defenses that they had in the la- in the last decade for sure. And then you can even throw in, even though we kind of. It's kind of a joke now. Or it's the kind 20 of defense was good. They were good. Yeah. But then again, like we talked about before in the last month or so, like how much of that was just kind of, kind of fluky. Trays. It was weird. It was the trays. Season. Wait, what? It was the trays. Trays Brown and Norwood. Oh, <laughs> the trays. And Ronnie Perkins. Um, but yeah, I, I think what you said is true. I mean, I think it's going to be better than last season's defense, uh, but man a, a top 20 that that's that's asking for a lot i i don't see that happen i mean i just think back to i know it's kind of apples to oranges because clemson was in a worse spot than oklahoma is now whenever brent venables got to clemson um you know but clemson's first defense under him wasn't wasn't great i mean it was like are we he, talking what, what are we talking top to we talking like total defense in the top 20 i guess yeah or are we talking like are we talking just kind of just like a, a consensus of 
raw stats, analytics, like all together, like, and we can like safely say, yeah, this is a top twenty defense. Because yeah. like, I, I, this is the Big Twelve is not the Big Twelve of two thousand eight anymore. The Big Twelve is not is not an offensive conference anymore. If OU puts out a salty defense, like relatively salty, more than it's not out of the realm of possibility at all. They just don't give up a lot of yards because there's just not a lot of not gonna be a lot of teams in the Big Twelve that can toss it around the yard that much. Yeah, no, I, and we've already dogged on the schedule. We're gonna do it multiple times, I'm sure, before Week One kicks off. Um, all right, so next thing I asked uh, on the Facebook page earlier today if anybody's got any thoughts, questions, takes, or hot takes. And so Justin has a hot take. And Justin's hot take is that Jaden Gibson, and this is like a long-term hot take, so we'll make sure to mark this down. We'll save this rundown. We'll save this question. Justin says that Jaden Gibson will finish better in every statistical category than Theo Weiss, Jaden Hazelwood, Trajan Bridges, Austin Stogner, and Mario Williams combined in their OU careers. And uh, Justin says, honestly, I haven't looked up those guys' numbers or anything. Just wanted to throw something out there. Uh, but he says, maybe that's not even a hot take. I, <laughs> I mean, okay. Point so, taken. Point taken for sure. I mean, like, Williams only going to have one year under his belt of stats. Like, okay, that's, his stats were fine last year. Nothing. Stogner's only, you know, a couple years, but not very many catches. Trajan Bridges, LOL, obviously only had like five catches maybe. I don't even know. Uh, Hazelwood, okay, his best season was this past year. And then Theo Weiss's best year was 2020. Um, if he has more, I mean, okay, like best case scenario, Jaden Gibson's here for three years probably because that means he's that, that darn good and he's gone after three. Or he's just kind of like a middling player and he stays for f- four years and that's why he gets all those stats, I guess, is possible, like – he just becomes like a great possession receiver, but I don't think that's the way his body is. I don't think that's nah, how No, I think you're still, even with all those guys combined, you're still talking about over 2,000 yards receiving and over 10 touchdowns. I mean, more than 10, probably close to 20 touchdowns, actually. Um, well, I mean, what about catches, too? You know, like, that's, that's a lot of catches. But, I like, think. I, I think his, his point, I think, mostly is just, like, in terms of impact. I don't think, raw statistics, I think that's probably unlikely, especially because I think Theo is probably going to have a pretty big year uh, if he stays healthy. So, um, but yeah, like in terms of raw impact, yeah, I could see that. I, I've already said, like, I'd, outside of Jaron Canick, I think Jaden Gibson is the best player in the class. Yeah, I'm excited for him too. I just, I love big, big receivers and guys that, from what we've seen, can move and are athletic. I mean, those, those, those are rare, man. That, that's, I know it seems like the NFL is kind of more trending towards kind of the the smaller super fast guys I, I guess but man i i will always be into the the big guys like the the julio joneses of the world the aj greens of the world the calvin johnsons of the world i mean i just think that's such an incredible mismatch and they can i think so the nfl plays. still prefers the big guys like i mean the little guys who you can like who can you think of who is tyree kill tyree, i mean that's tyree kill is like a unicorn calvin ridley who when he's not placing wagers um, uh, I mean Justin Jefferson and um, Jamar Chase are like six foot, six one. Yeah, but those guys aren't tiny though. Those guys aren't like Hollywood Brown. Oh well, okay. Sorry. Like, I guess I'm. I mean, they're not. They're not big though. I mean, like, I, I guess I'm. I'm thinking like six, six foot, six one to five, five nine or five ten to me. It's all kind of the same. I think that's all 
you're basically the same size in my mind when it comes to being receiver. Maybe maybe that's totally off base, but like Jamar Chase plays like off he's. Base. I'm five like, seven. Chase I'm, plays I'm like you, he's five ten is quite a bit taller than me. What like like five nine five ten to six one? That's like a that's like a three four inch range. I don't know. I I, I think that's all like bet- bet- there's a pretty big difference between six one and six five. I think. So yeah, it's but, four inches. I think there's a bigger difference between six one and six five than there is between five nine and six one, even though it's the same amount of of distance. I think the impact level of being that much taller. That's my point. Could be a dumb point. Uh, but I'm I don't know. I mean, I think when you when you get to six five, a lot of the time too, you're talking about length and long arms too. So yeah, I mean, you oh, you, yeah. you you, you could it. make. You could make an argument, I guess. I don't know if it'd be a very good one, but it's possible to make one. <laughs> How dare you? Uh, Justin also is curious about our thoughts on Baker Mayfield and that whole situation. Uh, we'll, we'll save that for the very end here in a moment because we have uh, one more OU topic to hit on, and that's from the West of Every Space. Michael with a, with a question for us. Michael says, with the upcoming switch to the SEC, what are some ways the fans can improve the atmosphere in the stands? So I, this is, this is uh, you know, if you've stuck around this entire time, thanks. This is going to pay off our tease from about <laughs> an hour and 45 minutes ago, Grant, <laughs> where we teased ahead. So, uh, man, I, you know what? You, you would have thought that I would have brought up what this guy's name was. <laughs> oh, boy, here we go. Like something Kofer or Koffer? Tyler Kofer, C-O-F-E-R. I was going to say Tony Kofer. And so to answer your question, to answer your question, Michael, uh, Grant, you texted me this, this tweet. So Oklahoma has now hired Tyler Kofer as associate AD of fan engagement and production. And it says Tyler's an Oklahoma native. And this is what, what got me fired up. And a lot of people probably saw this and probably thought, oh, that sounds cool. And they kind of moved on with their day. Not me. Nope. I, uh, I started celebrating. I, uh, that's about all I did. But yeah, no. Uh, his most recent job was the VP of Entertainment Experience and Production for the Las Vegas Golden Knights. The Vegas Golden Knights, which I would forgive you out there if you're not big hockey fans. But obviously the Vegas Knights are a relatively new NHL team. What have been around now for? This is what year three, year this three or year four, th- uh, four or five, I think. And I mean, right away, and I get it, like I know the NHL did something with the expansion draft, and they they got a lot of pretty good players right away. I think that doesn't normally happen, and they were immediately a contender. I think did they make the Stanley Cup Finals in their first year? Maybe yeah, like, I think they made it to crazy. Game Seven Stanley Cup Finals yeah. in their first year. But uh, like this guy has worked for that team who needed to figure out a way to get fans in the seats and we get it vegas has a lot of people but people don't go to vegas to watch hockey they go to vegas for other things and so from what i understand vegas golden knights games are are fun like people go there like they get they they get a lot of people they're a big deal they are not it is not an affordable ticket so this dude built up fan engagement from a brand new expansion hockey team in the desert so you've talked, you know, somewhat recently on this podcast, at least in this offseason, about how like this past season, you know, you went to you know more OU games than you have in a long time. And you went to a couple of road games, too. 
And you're you're not impressed with the game day experience in Norman. And it needs to get better. And so, boy, hiring this person, hopefully this is what Oklahoma needs to to help with that, I guess, transition to to the the point of the question, to Michael's question, that SEC transition, because it it is a a giant facelift because there needs to be more buzz around Norman on game day. Yeah, and so this was, um, this became super clear to me when I went, uh, uh, the the TCU game was the first first game I went to this year, uh, the first home game I went to. And um, this was the first time, as the first OU home game I had been to since Notre Dame in 2012. And um, the very first thing I noticed is that, so this was the very first time I'd been to a game since they shut down tailgating on Lindsay. And that is just a cataclysmically terrible decision in terms of, of game day atmosphere and just, and just the general vibe of the campus. And I know that was a David Bourne thing. What an absolutely awful decision that was. Um, if you're, if, if you're you know, focused on what the game day experience was. But man, I gotta tell you, I was also really, really disappointed um, with engagement in the stadium. It is bad, and like this is something that you know, if you lurk on message boards a lot over the last decade or so, I mean, this is stuff that pops up every now and then. People talking about how you know the music in the stadium is not great. Uh, they don't really, there's not really anything in the stadium to keep your attention outside of you know the outside of the product on the field. Uh, there, you know, it's there's nothing there to really excite fans at all, and. I went to my first game against TCU and then went to another one against Texas Tech and it just it all just completely confirmed it into my head. Um, it's just it's everything is bad about the stadium experience. It's not good. The stadium is quiet. Not only is the music bad, but the music is quiet and you can't even hear it. You can you can barely hear lyrics. It's it's all just like muffled and is not clear. Um I you know, the crowd is not into it like ever. Uh, it's, I, and so it, it helped me this year going to Kansas state and also going to Iowa, um, games there. And like, it, it pains me to say this. I don't like having to admit this. OU's game day experience across the board, they get their butts absolutely handed to them by Kansas state and Iowa. And in some regards, the university of Minnesota too, that is completely unacceptable across the completely unacceptable. And anything that they can do to rectify anything bit by bit is going to be good. So I don't know. I, I, you know, we don't know what this guy's going to end up doing. We don't know what type of leeway this guy is going to have to make changes. But the fact that they that they made a hire that something is changing in that regard is a really good thing. Because like I'm saying, like I'm not saying that I did not enjoy those games I went to. Of course I did. I love. I mean, it's a like I've, I've said numerous times in this podcast. It's like it's like going to church for me. I loved it. Um, but man, it can be so much better. It can be so much more fun. Um, and I think I said at the time when I was first, um, you know, communicating these concerns and and these frustrations, it's a choice. It's a choice for the game day atmosphere to be that dull. And it's a choice that the OU administration and maybe the program, you know, as an extension is made, which means they can make the choice for it to be a lot better. And I hope that this is a step in that direction. And that's consistent with what we've heard from Brent Venables. Uh, Not surprisingly, he's been really on the fan base to, hey, let's pack the palace for the spring game. Let's get this place full for a spring game, which, 
you know, we always want that. But even, you know, under Riley, uh, the night spring game in, in 2019, the Jalen Hurts year, I mean, it was pretty well attended. Obviously, it wasn't packed full, but I mean, it was pretty good. I mean, that was a good atmosphere. Uh, and then the last couple of years, I, 2020, I don't, I guess we didn't have one. And then 2021, obviously, you know, whatever, it was dead, totally yeah. dead. I mean, it um, was, it was. It was like, I mean, it reminded me of, of, of back in the Stoops years of just going to watch practice in the fall. You used to be able to go in and watch scrimmages. It reminded me of that. <laughs> okay. And so, I mean, there was more people there, obviously. It just, there was just no buzz. And so, yeah, getting the fans super engaged and really excited is a big part of building this program and getting it to where it wants to go. And that's a big thing I took away from the Thad Turnip Seat interview on the Gabe and Teddy podcast is that. You know, he was talking about what fans can do, and he, he talked about packing out the palace as well and like how it's not just the coaches and the administration that is going to make you know, Oklahoma get to where everyone wants it to go, to where it's at the Alabama-type level and the Clemson-type level. It's every, I mean, it's the fan base as well. And, I mean, he even said stuff like, oh, you know, go out, you know, buy a bunch of gear and like buy bumper stickers and, and you know, think, and, okay, like I get it. Like, sorry, I'm not going to do that, but other people will like people are going to do that. And that's like, he has the experience and, and the credibility as well, based on what we know about Thad Turnipsey that that's, if he says that's important, then I believe him. I believe that's important. And so I would guess that he probably had a hand in this idea of we got to get somebody in here to help out with this game day experience, because it's really important that the fan base is super engaged as, 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 as engaged as possible. And looking at uh, this Tyler Kofer guy, uh, he's an Oklahoman. Uh, who knows? Maybe he's an OU guy. Maybe he likes OU. Maybe he has some experience, and he he's like you. Maybe he kind of knows that the game day experience isn't great. So, like, if so, that's even better because he could come in knowing that this this is a problem. And I'm sure he knows that already. I'm sure it, even if he he's not an OU guy, I'm sure everybody in the program has explained it to him. Hey, here's what your job is going to be. And I guess we don't necessarily know exactly what his job is yet. We just know what his title is. But, uh, yeah, that's a step in the right direction. And honestly, man, this is, this is crazy. <laughs> we, we've never done, like, an interview on this podcast. I, I talked to Dean, you know, years ago, you know, one-on-one. But we haven't really – I think – I can't remember if we had – I think we had Brady Trantham come on and we did – we watched an old OU game. But when I saw this news, one of my first thoughts was like, you know what, I wonder if this is like – I kind of think this – could this be maybe the first guy we can try to get on the podcast? trying to interview like i kind of want to i kind of want to know what this guy's thinking i want to know what his vision is uh, did you have that thought at all or am i crazy i haven't i've thought about trying to get thad turnip seat on yeah because i don't know i i, I kind of feel like you and i could ask him some questions that he wouldn't hear anywhere else yeah and uh just, and, and know, i some, only i only had that thought just because it's like clear i mean geez i mean they're doing like they're they're making coaches and i mean maybe not i guess i'm not sure about coaches but They've been available. I know, like Venables has gone on multiple podcasts and uh, he's on radio shows and stuff. the The problem is, you know, those listening right now, if you've made it two plus hours, thank you. Uh, that's up to to me and us to figure out the logistics around getting a third person on because uh, this is a very uh, low budget podcast. Even though we try to make it sound high budget, high budget is that a thing? Uh, high, eh, I don't know. Uh, we, we, you know, we wanted to make it sound good, but behind the scenes, it's very low budget, believe it or not. 
uh, and you know, bringing a third person on, it's definitely doable. I just got to I got to get some tech research in to make sure that once we do I mean, that, I'm, I'm sure that, it's, it sounds as good as it possibly can sound. I mean, we just need to I mean, if, if we're going to do it, I just got to buy some software, I'm sure it's just going to be a little small little investment and then we yeah. could do it. But, you know, I mean, it's this has worked for five years now. So <laughs> it really has. Um, so, yeah, exciting to see where that goes. Uh, maybe down the line, you know, I, I sh- I'll probably look into it. Like, I have a better chance of getting something from him in my, my day job at News 9, you know, trying to f- go that route. But, uh, you know, we'll see. We'll see where that goes. All right. Uh, last thing, Baker Mayfield. Justin wanted us to talk about Baker Mayfield. Uh, you know, I haven't sat down and jotted out, you know, jotted down my notes and my, my deep thoughts about Mayfield. You know, I, it's, uh, I have general thoughts. My, my first thought is I, I'm happy that he's going to go to a new spot. We don't know where that's going to be. So I guess in theory it could be a worse spot than Cleveland, depending on where he goes, which is discouraging. Uh, I know this, is, this, this could be a really dumb take, and I'll acknowledge that. But I've never been a big fan of Kevin Stefanski's offense. And I know it's a good offense. He's had success. But I've never been a big, a big fan of run, 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 build everything around the running game. And I know it sounds like maybe it's an excuse because in theory, what have we talked about all the time? You know, in football, generically, if you can run the ball a lot and do it well, the quarterback should be pretty damn good, should be able to find open guys and have a lot of success because teams are you know, loading up against the run. And then in theory, there's open guys and the quarterback should have a lot of success. And that's Stefanski's offense. That's what he wants to base it off of. And so Baker Mayfield kind of struggling for a decent portion of Stefanski being there. That's on him. And it is on him. He's been banged up and stuff. But like a lot of people will say, you know, what? people get hurt all the time in the NFL. People play through injuries. You just got to you got to do it. And if you're going to be out there. So what? Play through it. And this past year, he wasn't very good. Baker wasn't very good. Uh, he, he's lost what made him really good in college. Ball placement. <laughs> Putting the ball wherever he wants to be, uh, wherever he wants it to go. And so I don't I – mean, maybe that's the offense. Maybe he's playing under center too much. And I, but that's I, – I will acknowledge it comes off of his a, lot of the, his, a lot of excuses at this point. Maybe at this time in his career, it sounds stupid – but we know a lot about Baker Mayfield. He always seems to perform better when his back is against the wall and people count him out. I mean, that's his, that's his entire football career. That's what got him to Oklahoma and what got him the Heisman Trophy and winning a bunch of games at OU. And now it's happening at the professional level. A team has turned its back on him for a, a different quarterback and on the field, a better quarterback. Deshaun Watson's a better quarterback than Baker Mayfield. He hadn't played in a year, but he's a better quarterback than Baker Mayfield. He is. Uh, and so I don't blame the Browns at all for going for a guy. If they could get a guy that's better than an upgrade, okay, I don't blame them. I just, where's he going to go? And, you know, he's not going to go to Indy now, Grant, your team. They got Matt Ryan. Um, what were the other options that are maybe he could have gone that? Seattle, Carolina. And, and you know, Seattle, they're going to go through a rebuild. Uh, I, I'm not. I can't remember who their offensive coordinator is, but I, I remember I always make fun of Seattle's offensive coordinators because they're always bad. They're always not good. Uh, and then, I mean, Carolina's interesting. Uh, you know, Matt Rule's there. I think you and I were going back and forth through text on their offensive coordinator, whose name is escaping me, the old Giants coach. Ben McAdoo. Ben McAdoo, which, you know, I, I, 
admittedly don't know much about him offensively. I know he's had a couple of good seasons with the Giants, but you know, who knows? Failed head coaches typically get an opportunity because they were a good coordinator. Yeah. So maybe I'm just holding it against him because Eli Manning is just kind of it's such a he's such a kind of like a shoulder shrug quarterback with two Super Bowl rings. <laughs> like so, uh, yeah, I, it's it sucks for Baker that this is happening to him. Uh, but I hope, I hope that he goes somewhere and he plays better because I've said it on this podcast a million times. I haven't said it as much recently. Like Baker Mayfield's like the one guy. Like I'm not a big singular individual guy when it comes to sports. Like I like teams. I I, I rally around teams. I'm not super into individual players normally. But for whatever reason, with Baker Mayfield, he's he got me to the point where I was like I. Anything and everything, I love Baker Mayfield. I, I love watching him play the game. I, I love following his career. I, I, I loved watching him play for the Browns. Like, but it, it started to go away this past season. He wasn't as fun to watch anymore. He wasn't as good. He didn't look like the old Baker. And so whatever he can do to maybe get back to kind of the way he looked towards the end of his career at Oklahoma, and really the first year, his rookie year, he played really well in Cleveland. Uh, and, and versions of that, That'd be great. I just don't know if he can get there, and uh, I hope I hope he can. And um, again, that's my my thoughts. Not having really sat down and, and thought them out very very thoroughly. Where are you? Well, I mean this uh, this whole thing has been, you know, for me personally, has been a roller coaster. You know, I um, obviously with with the Colts being you know coming up and being mentioned, that was really really exciting to me um so i i mentioned on this podcast numerous times i I mean the colts were were essentially my my first favorite team ever and it was because of peyton manning i love peyton manning is my is is my favorite athlete of all time bar none um baker mayfield is 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 on the same level as peyton man i i love i love those guys and there was a for a brief you know few days there was a possibility, and I was thinking in my head, like, man, how lucky would I be as a fan? I, I get to I get to watch Peyton Manning in a Colts uniform, and then about ten years after he, you know, he moves on from the Colts, I get to see literally my my favorite OU player of all time, a quarterback, come and you know play for the Colts as well. I got really really excited about that. Got really excited about that, and of course, didn't come to fruition, and I you know disappointed about that been kind of you know working through those feelings whatever and you know (laughs) thinking about Matt Ryan and the Colts writ large and all that stuff too but um I'm just really disappointed with the Baker Mayfield stuff because it's probably not going to work out with him in the NFL um that's that's what's happening right now um this and like yes I, I I understand his kind of his pedigree and and how he how he reacts when his back is against the wall and that's a really fun narrative and of course like that's that's fun to think about in my head man maybe maybe this is maybe this is the lowest he gets and he and he uses this to come back and he turns into what we think he is or what we we hope he's going to be but also there's that voice in my head saying man if that happens that that would be unprecedented in the history of this league he'd be the first person really ever to do it um if you're if you're drafted number one overall and you're and the first ten the, the tenure with your first team that drafted you is is ending like this, that usually means you're a failed NFL quarterback. And that 
sucks. That really sucks. And we we don't know if that's if that's one hundred percent the case right now. It's just that's that's where this thing is headed. And Baker Mayfield's probably not gonna play this year. I, I don't you know, I, I don't know where he's gonna go. It's I think like I've already seen reports that Carolina's not interested in him. I've seen reports that Seattle is really interested in, in one of the quarterbacks in the draft and they would prefer to do that. And I know a lot of there are teams and I've seen reports like uh, you know one of the Colts beat writers who's really respected and really good at his job has, has said that there are teams that are interested in Baker Mayfield, but not at that eighteen million dollars that that they would take on the cap hit for the final year of his rookie deal. That if any that if Cleveland were to trade him, a team is going to have to pick up, and I guess nobody just nobody's interested in that. And so like I, I mean, I don't know where he's going to play this year. And it, 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 I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility at all that the Browns just retain him and he's just not active. And he and so he, he just. So even if. Uh, so, yeah, that's another thing that people have talked about, right? That, OK, let's say the Browns retain him. Um, he's not going to play. The, he's I guess he won't allow himself to be active is what I'm saying. Yeah, that, yeah that's true. Yeah, he's. Um, when you know and because that's you know because Baker is, is going to do what Baker does and you know it's Baker's just not I think it would be it'd be an interesting decision it would probably be you have to swallow a lot of pride but ba- Baker's not going to back up to Sean Watson he's not going to do it um, I think there's a, there's a real argument to be made whether or not he should and I think he should consider it but well uh, well here's the thing though I mean there, I think there's there's a report today that I guess Roger Goodell, I guess, said that, I mean, Deshaun Watson still, still could get suspended. So, I mean, there's a scenario where he's not necessarily backing up Watson. If he's the other quarterback on the roster, if he wants to do it, he, he, he's, he's starting because Watson's suspended. But Can you imagine? Can you imagine if he gets suspended for the entire season and some, some way, somehow, Baker's just like, all right, yeah, I'll come back, for, I'll, I'll come back and play this year. But, th- I mean, this is it. Like I mean, I'm under contract and I'll play, and then and then he's awesome. Yeah, I mean that's, I mean that's best case scenario for him, obviously, because it's a contract year or whatever, right? And then he'd be able to he'd be able to demand you know whatever. Um, it's just I, I thought you were gonna get at is like I think kind of reading the tea leaves, like I don't know if he wants to even play for the Browns anymore since what they've done. No, like, I don't think so either. That's why that's why so like even the if, scenario in my head yeah. seemed very, you know, dramatic, right? So like even if Deshaun Watson was suspended, I'm not sure if he would even it's like sorry, I'm not I can't even though I would be playing, I, I it's almost like he just refused to even play for them, which I don't know, I mean. Uh okay, here's the thing that I I, I do want to make sure we touch on because and like we were saying a moment ago it was like, "Oh, if, if it goes a certain way and it doesn't get any better, then he's a failed quarterback." I I don't I don't like falling into this whole thing of, and you brought this up before of like, uh, you know, like really Colin Coward actually ended up being right about Baker Mayfield. No, he wasn't right now. Colin Coward. That's a slam dunk. He's 100% right. Okay. No, Colin Coward is not right because Colin Coward was saying all this stuff about Baker Mayfield. And he kept saying it when Mayfield was having lots of success and proving him wrong just because like four years, like Colin Coward was never very specific about it. He was never like, Oh, like by year four or five, like that's when it was like from day one, like, no, this is not going to work. This is this is wrong. And it's like no. It doesn't like, matter. It He's been a skeptic. He's been a skeptic, and Baker Mayfield didn't even make it through his first contract with the Browns. I mean, he's okay, like, sure. it's, yeah, okay. Like it's one of those things. And nobody where, wants sure, him. He, yeah, I. But I. 
the thing is like he's not right in the sense that the entire time of his rookie year when Mayfield was playing really well and turned the entire franchise around he was so like saying like ah oh, nah nah like he because because he didn't, didn't want to admit he was wrong and just because over time now it's like oh now like oh I ended up being right in the end like all right cool but like that's not what you really were that's not really what you were saying like I, I will acknowledge that I'm disappointed that it hasn't worked out but at the same time though he did a lot for that franchise and oh I agree he won a, I agree. He won a playoff this is- game for him for the first time and so that's that's kind of why it's it's interesting to me that like I again I understand the Browns doing what they're doing but you know what if what if this is a uh, you know to, to be super crimson colored glasses podcast guy let's what if there's there's some similarities between whatever happens with Baker Mayfield and and uh, Lincoln Riley you know what if you know what, what if you know what's, what's going to happen you know yeah. what's going to happen in the next 10 years OU's going to win like six national championships. They're going to turn to the next Bama. Lincoln Riley's going to get fired after three years at USC, <laughs> and he's just going to—he's just going to jump around from job to job. In ten years, he's going to be at like—he's going to be back as, as the as the head coach at East Carolina, and going hoping that he goes seven and five every year. I will and tell Baker's you, man. Gonna, Baker's going to be released by the Browns. And Deshaun Watson is only ever going to like play like five games with them, and they're just going to go back to winning one game every single year. And Baker's going to go on and win three MVPs and like five Super Bowls. And then it's just like the next decade, man, for OU fans is just going to be just a fever dream of awesomeness. That's what's going to happen. Man. Yes, yes, all that. I will tell you, if Lincoln Riley gets fired by USC, that will that will be a national holiday for the Oklahoma fan base. <laughs> Pop the shit like that would be the most, uh, I guess sour, or what? The, what's the like most petty national holiday of all time? Um, the like the I can already hear the sound of the football being spiked. I mean, it's <laughs> there is yeah. I mean, there's a scenario right where if, if if Lincoln Riley is a failure at USC, if if OU fans aren't already kind of the most annoying fan base right now, like on social media or whatever with that stuff, I mean, they certainly will be after that. Yeah, hundred percent. And I, I, I wouldn't even be able to contain myself in that situation. I think. <laughs> All right, like I, I feel like what we're doing right now, though, is we're we're those people that are, it's like a, it's like a March Madness pre-tournament podcast, and we're like going over the the matchups, and we're like, huh, you know, like how's your bracket looking? Like, you know what, like that nine seed, I could see, I could see them making a run. Like, I could see them making the final four. We're like talking ourselves. Still into haven't it. paid off my Billy Bowman tease. Still haven't paid it off. I'm I'm keeping everyone on a hook right now. Wait, what? What was your Billy Bowman tease? The Billy Bowman tease where he was uh I don't know who asked the question, but he was talking about special teams and he straight up said that they weren't allowed to return punts last year. Uh I guess he must have said that after I walked away. I didn't I didn't hear him say that. Okay. So what was it? Yeah, he, he, he said it he said it literally. Like he actually said it. He's like, Yeah, we weren't really allowed to return punts last year. <laughs> Wow, and, and then the entire fan base is like, "Yeah, man, not just last year. That's been that's been a thing since really since the last days of Stoops, and it drives me insane. It's the dumbest thing ever. It makes no sense." Okay, wow, that's paying off that tease. Good job, good good on you. <laughs> um, okay, so that's all I have. I'm done. I'm cashed. I'm spent. That was uh, three weeks of of content kind of you know built up ready to to go in the podcast 
Yeah, for everyone who is still uh, still raring to go, you can uh, follow us over to the Patreon page or the, uh, what yeah. is it, uh, one of those other, like YouTube or whatever, and that's YouTube. when we'll start talking about uh, yeah. Will Smith and uh, Chris Rock. <laughs> and, really want to do uh, Will Smith. We're going to talk about uh, the, uh, you know, what that means for the future of our country, the future of the next, like, five or six generations. Um, and then also we'll uh, we'll get really deep into, like, tax policy and other stuff like that, too. So... And then just wait. Yeah, Let's do of it. Of course, we're gonna we'll finish up with our look ahead to 2022, uh, November 2022, the the midterms. We'll talk about that um, as well. And um, let's see. As I, I go to like a, a news side, what, what else is going on in, in the news? Ah, who cares? But mainly the Will, the Will Smith slap. That's 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 the most important issue of the day. Yeah, I think I got enough mileage out of that bit. I think I'm ready to move on. All right, I think, uh, you know, as of now, we should be able to reconvene next week for another episode. Uh, yeah, that's all I got. Uh, I think, uh, you good? You cashed? I think you're good. I'm good. We just recorded a podcast that's about the same runtime as The Dark Knight. So go ahead and, uh, you know, I think, I honestly, probably pretty similar quality, too. <laughs> and uh, this episode in the Dark Knight will probably be on the exact same uh, pantheon of, uh, of pop culture success. Check out our ratings on Rotten Tomatoes after you're done listening. Uh, until next time, for Grant, I am Lee. This is West of Everest. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you subscribe to the show. And if you want to help us spread the word, please leave us a five-star review. And also, tell all of your friends who are OU fans about West of Everest. You can listen to this podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. <laughs>